Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know, it's not smart. Tipping a podcast that leans into the NBA at the very top right before a full slate of NBA games on Tuesday night. That's all right. We're going to do it anyway. You know what else is the smart job sites that are overwhelming with tons of the wrong resumes? Luckily, there's a smart way at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. They find people with the right skills for your job. They actively invite them to apply. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer. And here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. Here's the crucial part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. If rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network. If you're not going to either, you're hurting my feelings. Ringer Podcast Network. Niffy Kyle, we got Dual Threat this week, House of Carbs. Both of those. One Shiny right Pod. Yeah. All happening. Yeah. Today, tomorrow. Niffy Kyle's producing some of our pods. A whole <laughs> bunch of good things. We have... Uh, one big pod coming though. Villains by Shea Serrano is finally dropping on Thursday, first episode. So if you haven't subscribed to that, check that one out. Villains. Tate Frazier kept Shea. I mean, this is like one of the darkest ringer stories we have for it's two been years. It's a saga. Could be a documentary. It was it was just a feud between those two guys. Kind of like what you read about the Hatfield, the Hatfields and the McCoys growing up. Um, and and Tate just wouldn't let Shay have a podcast. And then finally we had to get them in a room. We thought that's actually not what happened. Shay just could not come up with the right idea. But now he has the right idea. Villains, subscribe to it. Now coming up, we are going to talk to Chris Ryan about some current topical, if we didn't talk about it right now, it would kind of go away NBA stuff. Warriors, Sixers, uh, Jimmy Butler, a little bit late on that. And then uh, Carmelo Anthony. And then a big deep dive conversation with Malcolm Gladwell. This podcast, I know it's long, it's two hours, but sometimes there's no other way. It's November, there's a lot going on. That is all coming up first. Our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Gladwell's coming up a little bit. Chris Ryan is here right now. We want to talk. There's some time-sensitive NBA stuff we have to get through. Chris is the editorial director of The Ringer. He's the host of The Watch. He's on The Ringer NBA show. We're going to talk about the Sixers and a Carmelo theory that I have in a second. But Draymond Green suspended by the Warriors for one game without pay for an incident at a game that I went to last night that even as it happened, it felt like a little bit of a bigger deal than maybe some of this usual stuff. We are taping this three o'clock Pacific time. So if anything else happens tonight, I don't know what to tell you, but Chris Ryan is here. It's going to happen. Zone. Given, given what happened last night, I have no idea what could happen tonight. I went last night. I want to talk about it with somebody. I need a live body. Let's do on it. On the sofa. A thought leader Might like well Malcolm Gladwell. That's me. Yeah, we, we'll, he, we'll, he can lead our thoughts later. <laughs> I went. It was an awesome game. The Clippers have the most fun team they've had in 12 years. It, it, I, I guess Lob City was fun, but the, the nine-man rotation wasn't fun. This team, it's like people just keep coming in. You're like, oh, I like that guy. 
Yeah. Oh, Wallace. I kind of enjoy him. And oh, Harold. He's fun. Lou Williams' Mariano Rivera act is really fun. Oh, yeah. Fun. It's yeah. great. And so what was interesting was the Warriors were playing really hard and really wanted to steal it. And they had a lot of fans there and they were really feeding off this non-Curry, all their fans. And then, you know, they don't get it at the end. Katie's mad. And then could tell they were yelling at each other in the huddle. And then Boogie Cousins, Peacemaker and... You know, I try not to overreact to this stuff because I think in basketball, you should yell at people every once in a while. I played a lot of basketball my day, Chris Ryan. Sometimes you get mad at people. Yeah. Our friend Dave Jacoby, there were a couple of times where we just yelled at each other at a court. I still love them. Um, so I don't want to overreact, but it did feel like there was some, some, some deeper stuff going on in there. And you watched it. I was studied the videos last night, like the Zapruder film. Yeah. Of, especially that wide shot of KD and... And Draymond was yelling at him and Katie's reaction, like, oh, uh, it was almost like something hit too close to home. And then it gets reported today that Draymond brought up the whole free agency thing. Yes. So my first question is, do you believe that? I, I personally believe that he did bring that up. You do not believe or you I do? I do. Oh, I believe he brought it up. The question is whether or not, like, how, how seriously the Warriors and Katie are taking that, whether Draymond was just kind of trying to stick it to him. So now we also have the announcement that Draymond's sitting out tonight. He will not be playing tonight. Against the Hawks. Mm -hmm. Which is curious because Steph Curry is also sitting out tonight with an injury. So now they're leaving themselves pretty shorthanded. Yeah, they play three and four. So they had the game last night, Hawks tonight, and they have the Rockets on Thursday. So it's yeah. it's a busy week for them and Draymond's coming back from injury. But it does feel disciplinary. I was wondering what was going, when this could bubble a little bit because there's been so much Durant is, this is his last year buzz. And, you know, Draymond and I are wired a lot of the same way. I think <laughs> we think a lot alike. And if like... You're both undersized fours. Yeah. Well, if nephew Kyle, there was all these rumors about his free agency in eight months and he never squashed any of them. And you just saw that New York is going to the Clippers and it's just constant. Yeah, and if Kyle's going on one shining pod and being like, look, I'm just going to be transparent. Last time I, I was holding stuff to myself and this time I'm just going to go through it never very again. publicly and <laughs> yeah. be honest. I just want to be honest. And yeah. Kyle never said the words like, I'd love the ringer. Yeah, you'd want it's him to great. be like, hey, Kyle, be honest. Say I'm re-signing with the ringer. Yeah, or like, I just love it here and I'm really grateful and I'd love to keep this going or whatever. But if he didn't say anything, I would kind of be like Draymond. And the first time we would have strife, we'd be like, Ooh, why don't you go to Barstool then, you dick? Like, yeah, I would just yeah. get mad. Um, and I think that's what happened last night. I think there was like bubbling, little bubbling stuff that popped up because yeah. this KD thing is the elephant in the room. And I think he's nuts. I, I They could win five straight. I made this case. They could win like five straight titles, maybe six. I don't know how you leave that. Then again, as Katie has said on this podcast, don't tell me how to live my life. And I it's just my life. Hoop and I just want to have yeah. the best environment. To I just want yeah. my, what's my next challenge. Yeah. And if he feels like he's not challenged anywhere, but this is. Yeah. Here's another little tidbit about this. Playing with Draymond's probably a pain in the ass after a while. Maybe it is. Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't know the guy personally. I'm just saying that like Draymond is like a lot of people who get short-term results and long-term wear and tear. Yeah. He's not somebody who's going to be playing at age 39. Yeah. I, think, I think he's gonna he's gonna flame out a little. The intensity that he plays night to night is not sustainable for like a fifteen year career. And I think he's hard to play with just in general. But I think his teammates love him. Yeah, it was really weird watching Boogie as the peacemaker, 
there was a couple, now all the people saw the clips, but then there was like, there was a foul shortly after OT started and they were both under the thing and they were still like kind of talking under their breath at each other. And the crazy part was Bill Russell was on that basket and Jerry West. <laughs> and I think both of them were probably like, what the F's going on? Yeah. But, uh, you know, that was part of last night. The Clippers got decked out. They, they brought up Bill Russell and Jerry West. They brought out two of the 10 best players ever. Was it a little bit of a car show for KD, you think? Felt like it, yeah. yeah. But Bomber had them right under the basket that the Warriors going to shoot it in the second half. He was next to Russell. West is three seats down. They The Clippers have spent a lot of time this summer and the first part of the season. It's a new Clippers. We're different now. We have all these, we have a smart front office mm -hmm. now. And we're putting our logo all around the place and all these different parks. And then even like during the games, the games are much more festive now. I've been going since like 04. So it's like people are shooting half court shots at the timeouts like yeah. three times instead of once. And um, Balmer has a video now where he gets the crowd fired up. It did not work. Just for the record. <laughs> He's like, come on, everybody He's not get exactly up. Gerard Butler in 300. Yeah. And the problem- Developers! <laughs> no, he was, he, which just wasn't working. Um, but the problem is the Clippers have not great fans. I hate to, but like their home crowd is not like- this isn't Buenos Aires. It's hard to get two team team fan bases in it's one city. It's just really hard. And all due respect to the Clips fans that love the team, but you know, last night was a great game. I had an awesome time. There's two minutes left. Everybody's sitting, and I'm sitting next to Tolan, the guy I share tickets with. I'm like, should we just stand and see if we can get other people to stand? Like, yeah. it felt so. It was such an intense game. I wanted to stand. And everybody's just kind of sitting, and there's a there's always yeah. Very was team. like seventy five percent Warriors fans. Yeah, there. it was it was definitely well, half it's and a half. testament to how strong the league is, and and especially like what an attraction the Warriors are. That probably in every gym they go into, there's going to be that kind of like the a little bit of disparity. MJ's they are the new, they are new Lakers, where I think anybody who's twelve and isn't like I've just I, you know I'm being indoctrinated into being a a Bucks or a Bulls fan, they're probably like, I like the Warriors because they have Steph and KD and Clay. Yeah. You know, I mean, so you can't really knock it. The Clippers have always been like, you know, when you read like all this stuff about like Kevin Arnovitz and the people who came out of that like early 2000s, late 90s Clippers thing where they were like, yeah, you would just go, you pay 20 bucks, you could move down half to two great. and a half sections. And it was basically like a basketball laboratory where you could just hang out and watch a game. But that's not really the NBA anymore. I bring all of that up because if you're trying to impress KD... The, cr the crowd had such a difference with the intensity and kind of the history and all that stuff that I think that's the one big obstacle. Because I think LA makes a ton of sense. Um, I could see him being the face of that franchise. They have a good nucleus. SGA is, I think, has yeah, a chance I gonna, to be special. I, I have incredible SGA jealousy. Oh my right God. Now. I was so into it. I was, yeah. I was just watching the way he was like just walking around during, you know, foul shot breaks and stuff. Just like, man, that guy's got it. Yeah. You, know, you just tell. Uh, really nice feel for the game. They really lucked out. That was a great pick. Once again, the 10th pick in the draft. Fuck, I know. Just over and over again. I'm a little again. salty about lottery picks these days. I don't know if you can tell. Well, it's, <laughs> we we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, so anyway, I, I think this situation is worth monitoring because I'm sure the Warriors are probably deep down like, well, fuck that guy. Then he should just leave then. We'll win a title without him. You know, and whether it goes that direction, but- 
This is a classic Phil Jackson would call the get the reservation together and make sure everybody's on the same page moment. I do feel like it was a bigger moment. Yeah, than how maybe did it's uh, play Kerr and, and Brown and and he Kerr Fox, wasn't there Bruce for half had, of it. He wasn't yeah, because the coaches were all walking away. Durant stormed back and he did his whole thing, and then it kind of kept going. But um, look, the, the thing I would mention is just I know you used to knock them about this last year, but Kerr was like kind of putting it out there. What a mental grind it is for them to be defending mm. to go into the. To, another long campaign like this and just getting it up to play every night. And that seemed different this season. They seem to be like, we're just going to score 140. Everybody's healthy. Much more intense. They're just like, they looked really good. Yeah. Even playing a little shorthanded. I think I don't think they're as deep as they were last year. No, but, uh, no, I thought last night they played hard. This was the first time that that reared its head. Like that. Maybe these guys are getting a little tired of each other in some ways, but maybe that's a good thing for this team. Perhaps. I it think it gives them a little them extra steps edge. Out there. Yeah, when yeah, steps out there, it seems to all click. God, Clay, Clay was amazing last night. Clay's, Clay is, uh, I used to have this list back when I used to write when my fingers worked about <laughs> guys who are so much better in person than they are plug on TV. Yeah, plug my old career. Um, but like Josh Smith was a great example. Josh Smith in person was so much better than Josh Smith on TV. Young Josh Smith. Yeah. When he was like, you know, bl- blindside blocks and just alley oops. And I was like, God, this guy should be the best player in basketball. Um, the the uh, Clay Thompson experience in person is always more it's impressive. Also like last night, he just decided, well, I guess I have to be Steph now. Yeah. Well, it's not just the offense, though. He's an incredible defensive player. Yeah. He really is. I, I to me, he's like in. You know, you have Kawhi, who's second. Of defenders? Yeah, right. Perimeter defenders right now. Kawhi. Would you put Jimmy in there, please? Maybe? When he's healthy? I think I'd put Clay second. Yeah. I'm probably missing. I know I'm missing somebody. But anyway, he's in the conversation. Paul George? I I still like Clay because like Clay was guarding Gallinari last night, but he could also guard Chris Paul. He he has like a 14-inch disparity. So he's weirdly underrated, and I do think he likes when uh, when Kerr's out. Yeah, let's talk about Butler really quick. Anyway, watch the Warriors situation because I my spidey senses say there's more meat on the bone than usual when we try to make a big deal out of nothing. Mm-hmm. I do feel like this is a big deal. I think the Warriors are like, are you fucking staying or not? <laughs> yeah. And and it's starting to hit that point. Uh, Jimmy Butler, I talked about on the pod the other day. You talked about on Ringer NBA show. Now he's there. Um but it's kind of overshadowing this incredible Embiid season. It's it's overshadowing. Embiid is is in the MVP conversation, I think. Yeah, I'm so I'm working on my trade value list, and every time I redo the list as I procrastinate from actually writing it, Embiid moves up like a spot. Yeah. So now all of a sudden he's in like the top seven. I I think I kind of take it for granted because I watched so much Sixers. It was only after last night when JJ was like, "This guy's." trying to take people's heads off like he is dominating the league right now and i i know that there's a little bit of like isn't beat a little bit more of a flat track bully like i know you, we've kind of joked around about like he likes to take off on drummond or white side or guys he's better in but like better than but he has to go out and beat a better team one of these days yeah uh you can only beat what's in front of you i think he's having an amazing season also like yeah he'll still get winded on a second half of a back-to-back but he, he seems a lot more in shape he can hang in there for 37 minutes if you need him to it's just, it's amazing. I, it's so also so disorienting to watch a big man dominate a game now like this. With with a real attitude to the point that out of all the guys in the league, I, I actually feel bad for some of the other guys. Like I felt bad for Andre Drummond yeah. last week. I was yeah. like, oh man, you're actually, can you, 
can you cool it down? Andrew Drummond's a nice guy. You're like hurting his feelings. And it was like Whiteside yesterday, same thing. I mean, oh, come on, man. The Whiteside has a family. Yeah. Be nice. Yeah. But Jordan was like that. I'm not saying Embiid's like Jordan in the, from a talent standpoint, but, but he's got he does want to rip people's hearts And that's out. a mentality that Jimmy Butler will feel a lot more comfortable with than he did with Townsend Wiggins. No question. Now, my question for you is, as a Sixer fan, Sixer watcher, Sixer chemistry uh, brewer, mm-hmm. There's always been a little, hey, are we sure Simmons and Embiid? Are we sure those guys are brothers? Are we sure they're aligned? Are we sure at some point this is going to be a Stringer Avon situation? And now you have Jimmy coming in. What if he picks a side? What if he's like, Embiid's my guy. I fucking love this guy. This is what I wanted all along. And Simmons is like, oh, I'm right here, mate. I don't, yeah, right. He's like, that's a knife. That's not a knife. Oh, uh, put, a, put a shrimp on the bobby? Ben Simmons is not a shrinking violet. Okay. Like, I don't think Ben Simmons is going to, also, he's so specifically good at, a, at these specific things. Yeah. That it's not like, oh, we can take or leave Ben Simmons' skill set. It's like Ben Simmons nah. is fucking incredible. You know your, what I mean? Your four best are really, like throwing Redick in there, it's a really nice four and you yeah. don't have the fifth yet. And I don't know who, we were talking about yesterday in the office. The fifth guy to me is like a better Bellinelli. It's like a Bellinelli with size. It's like Evan Fournay if he was better. It's just like a six foot six, a guy who could have 50 one night and you wouldn't be shocked, but he also could have yeah, three points and you wouldn't be shocked. Elton Brand splashing the pot a little bit today at the press conference. He's like, we, we want to make a, we want to make a real impact with like this last roster spot, like what we want to get here, you know? You need your fifth guy. Yeah. But once you have the fifth guy, that's that's if you can keep him beat healthy, which seems realistic. And then the only question is, is Jimmy Butler just a huge asshole or not? Because now he's- The thing he's, is now he's our asshole, right? <laughs> we, I, I mean, he fits in Philadelphia in some ways like so that. So I was thinking about that since I did the podcast. It was the one point I wish I had made on the podcast two days ago. It's kind of like- kind of the right city to embrace somebody who's yeah. got this personality. Yeah. I mean, it'll, he's not going to, uh, we're not going to be 29th in attendance. You know what I mean? Like people no. aren't going to turn their backs on him. And I think that he talked about that today in the press conference. He was like, I think that this city matches with like their ethos matches my ethos. It's hardworking. They're going to like my competition. They're going to like my spirit. I think that there's just, he actually just does certain things on the court that's going to disrupt the basketball chemistry of the team. And it could be for the better because I think the Sixers are just like way better than the teams below them, but not as good as the teams above them right now. And he has to, he's coming in to change that. First of all, the price you paid is outrageous. I like Sarge, but that, that trade that was 40 cents on the dollar for just for one year. Yeah. If he leaves, maybe not as great of a trade. Sure. If he stays, that's a a steal unless he is the all-time cancer. But one thing I liked about this trade that I forgot to mention two nights ago, and, and this is something I've been passionate about. I was passionate about it with Durant and Westbrook that year in like 2011. And there's these moments where you're just kind of ready to win the title potentially. Yes. And you can't just be like, ah, someday we'll win the title. Like when you have it, you have it. Cause you don't know. You, you never know when you're going to have Westbrook's 2013 injury and then Durant's 2015 injury or whatever the order of that was that, but you just don't know with health, bad luck, lucky breaks. And the reality is if you have two of the best 15 guys in the league, you have to go for the title. Yes. There is no more process. This is the process. I I said on, on heat check on Sunday, it's the right trade. It's the wrong guy for me. You know what I mean? Like I would have preferred a couple of the other guys that had been bandied about over the last 12 months, you know, whether it was Kawhi, whether it was Paul George, whoever, you know, yeah, but Kawhi, I mean, 
we're seeing why Kawhi now was available for DeMar DeRozan. He's his last three games. He started to tail off a little. Yeah. I still have my suspicions that he can play a hundred games this season. So you don't think That's he's fully healthy take. or that he's just like too, he's got a body that like is too susceptible to injury like that. I don't want to say frail because he's, yeah, like I don't want to say fully healthy. I just, there's certain guys where I say like, is Giannis going to play a hundred games if they make the finals? I'll be like, yeah, yeah. Unless something weird happens. Yeah. Like if he gets mononucleosis or something, but that guy will be here for eight months. Kawhi, I'm, I'm less sure. And I think athletically, he's, from what I've seen, a little up and down. Right. Well, I don't want to take, I think just to go back to your original point about guys being ready and going for it when you have those top 15 guys, I think that one of Butler's main objections was Towns and Wiggins not understanding their talent and not not embracing that moment. And Jimmy's a guy who like What's probably that? had to fight for every minute that he's gotten on an NBA court up to a certain point in his life. And he doesn't think that those guys are like understanding that. And when you see Towns, I'm not trying to kill the guy by taking his quotes out of context, but when he's like, well, I'm not the most important guy on this team. I'm just like a member yeah, of the team. Weird. It's just like, that's not what Joel and Ben say. Ben, ben has been built in a lab to win basketball titles. Yeah. And Joel thinks that he's the best basketball player of his generation, like even whether or not he's right or not. Those guys are out of their minds and they they kind of need somebody like Jimmy in a vacuum. Now, I just don't know if Jimmy's exact game fits with like the way that Brett plays. Yeah, and we're not also- I also just watched like the, the games that I watched Jimmy Butler play in Minnesota looked like a guy trying to sabotage a basketball team. Well, we're not sure Brett Brown is 100% the right coach either, <laughs> are we? Uh, there's there's a divided opinion about that. Can you see him holding the trophy up? Uh, I couldn't see Ty Lue holding the trophy up. I still can't see it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I Ty Lue kind of changed that a little bit for me. I was thinking, I was watching TV last night. I was watching the Lifetime Network. Don't ask why. <laughs> there's some terrible movie on. And they had a commercial and it was Lionel Hollins for some blood pressure drug. On the Lifetime Network? And it started out NBA former basketball coach Lionel Hollins or basketball coach Lionel Hollins. And he was coaching this fake team. And I was going to, I was actually going to go downstairs and get my phone to videotape it so we could run it on the ringer. And I was like, ah, I don't feel like getting up. I think there might be a website where they put videos up. <laughs> you maybe, maybe. YouTube. Yeah, maybe YouTube has this. Check this out. Lionel Hollins' blood pressure commercial. But I was watching it. I was thinking like, there was a moment where people thought Lionel Hollins was a really good coach uh -huh. in Memphis. He almost yeah. made the finals. And these different coaches will have these moments where we're like, that guy's a great coach. And then like Frank Vogel, he's makes the conference finals two years in a row. It's like Frank Vogel, guy's a great coach. Now he, he sucks in Orlando and now yeah, he's right. out. And I guess my question is. What about, I mean, not, like, that just changes so fast. Look at but tips. I'm not sure Brett Brown is a good coach or not. But the question is, is this Sixers team so good that he could have a moment with this team? And then five years later, I'll be like, yeah, remember when Brett Brown, when they almost made the finals? Well, here's the thing also with NBA coaching right now, especially in the midseason stuff, because I don't, like, it's so hard to get somebody of quality to replace any coach. I'm kind of like, wh who's, who are we going to get? Who would be the, who would be the yeah. Brett Brown replacement? Do you know what I mean? Like, Luke I, Walton. No, but like, it's like, <laughs> people talked about Jay Wright last summer before, I think be before good. Colangelo, people were talking about, yeah. oh, there might, Jay Wright might come. Spo? Spo, but Trade, you think, what about Fultz for Spo? Who says no? <laughs> Faults of Brett Brown for Spo. You want to believe in faults? Here's Brett. Here's. Can I ask you one more non Sixers thing before we go? Yeah. You know, we were talking yesterday and you're like, sample size is too small or whatever. But can I ask you, are you excited about the Kings at all? Sack? Yeah. Did you watch them last night? I didn't say last night because I was at the game. Fox looks so good. That's another Fox. lottery pick I wish I had. 
Fox could be a culture changer. I liked him in college. I but last year was unclear if he was just so young and in a bad situation or how much kind of upside was there. Yeah. I was a believer, but you know, I just noticed from the trade value drafts I'm doing, he just keeps climbing. Yeah. Now he's in the top 30, but he just looks like a guy who should be the best guy on a team. Yeah. And is just plays with a certain spirit to him that I think is pretty enticing. And you have him, Kali Stein, whatever. Is he in a contract year or restricted he's in a contract year or something? Year. I think he, yeah, and then he's, but he's playing out of his mind. He's playing out of his mind and they have some scores and they've also been picking the top eight for 15 years. So it's, <laughs> it at some point, they're going to have a good start. I, I'm a little dubious of it though because I do think they've, they haven't had, like the Celtics just had this gauntlet trip that they had that yeah. was just the worst possible time of the season. The Kings have had kind of the opposite version of that schedule. Playing at home a lot. They, I want to see them on a road trip okay. before I really believe. Can we, before we go, faults quickly? Sure. I've Does, tried to has this gotten to the point where you don't even want to talk about him anymore? I don't know what to say. What do you want me to say? What was up with that foul shot last night? I, I mean, like, it, it's either medical. Or, I, I don't, I, I honestly don't know, man. I don't know what to say anymore. It, it, it's even like, even if he made those free throws, every night is pretty much the same. It's two for six. Three for five, three for six of the line gets about eleven points. Do you think points, he has trade value? Minutes, is he tradable? Not right this second. He sure doesn't after last night. You would know better than I would. I mean, is there any team like if you're? I, I that's the thing is that how embarrassing would it be for them to unload the number one draft pick a year and a half later? I would trade him to Phoenix for Josh Jackson, who I think is equally disgruntled and having an equally bad time. I like that trade for you. Because Josh Jackson just becomes a useful like Swiss Army knife wing. Jimmy Butler is like, we're starting the motherfucker club. I'm in it. You're my first <laughs> lieutenant. And we're going to be motherfuckers. <laughs> and that'll yeah. be it. And they'll go. Uh, before we go, I wanted to give you my my theory that I gave on the emergency. I wish I had a take desktop. about Markel. I don't. It's sad. They're going to have to trade him. And he's going to have to go to a team that is basically the Spurs. Yeah. It has to be that that kind of situation. It's got to be infrastructure. You're almost breaking him down and starting over. You're just completely breaking down all the damage that's happened. To I have to assume that that has been part of the process here in Philly. I, I mean, I'm sure you're right. But uh, think about how how poor of an organization they've had the yes, last couple of years with Hinky getting just shit canned right as he's about to have the fruition of this and. Uh, and then the freaking, what's the Game of Thrones family? The Lannisters. The Lannisters, yeah. What was the guy Lan who ran the, the head Lannister dude? The Ty Tywin? Tywin. Tywin Dad? Lannister yeah. comes in, a.k.a. Jerry Colangelo. <laughs> yeah. He's got to bring in his kid. And um, and it's just a mess. The whole thing is an absolute shit show. It's amazing that we're this good. Yeah. Well, you have two possibly transcendent guys. Yeah. Simmons wanted a tiny bit more from him. I have a triple-double bet from him. Oh, you do? That I was, yeah, I'm focused on. Last thing, um, I went on emergency desktop today and talked about my theory that Carmelo Anthony is just going to go back to the Knicks and retire. Here's the case. There are really no happy chasing the title stories other than Mitch Richmond with the like 01 or 00 Lakers. And that wasn't happy at all. He barely played. He can't feel that good about that ring. GP on Miami, mm -hmm. 06, probably the best hanging on. 
I can't say Jason Kidd was chasing a ring and hanging on in Dallas because he was actually really important for that team. Yeah. That was and not a And that championship chasing. was pretty shocking. Yeah. Uh, PJ Brown on the Celtics was certainly not somebody as good as Carmelo. Carmelo's a future Hall of Famer. He's actually now underrated the way people shit on him. I think it's outrageous that people are now pretending he wasn't one of the best 10 players in the league for like nine to 10 years. But I don't think he should go to Portland or the Lakers. Or yeah, Portland's they, way too good to take Carmelo. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I wouldn't bring him on. He's going to have a third situation where he it just might go horribly and it's like yet another wah, wah Yeah, this is Carmelo. the last one. Yeah. I think this Houston thing had to be the last one. So I think the move for him now is to go back to the Knicks. So I had like jokingly tossed out the Spurs as like the only like not contending team, but decent team. that Because he, he did pop? Also, like they play mid range a lot. Like they, there's like it's an offense that I think he could actually just be himself in. Clearly, he doesn't want to be Olympic mellow. I think like Olympic mellow is the worst thing that ever happened to him. Yeah, because it just became like now he has to be a three and D guy, which I don't really think he is. I think the honey nut Cheerios thing was the worst. That, that probably was worse. Yeah, yeah it's probably <laughs> probably the worst. Yeah, the Spurs would be fun, but I I continue to think he's just not good anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was my case last summer. Like, to the Knicks. Well, because I thought he was in a really good situation in OKC. He got wide open shots. And yeah. he had uh, t- he was playing with two really good guys. And all he had to do was make open jumpers and go to the free throw line and rebound. And he couldn't do any of it. Yeah, so, I think also just as they their games became more high intensity, his defense just became a complete, absolute liability. So if he goes to the Knicks. And he can just be himself. Just be New York Carmelo. And then the Knicks fans kind of, they're tanking anyway. Yeah, but the they New York, I Carmella. feel like the, the narrative about like Carmelo is a franchise ruiner, which he's not doing a lot to combat, like comes from New York, right? It's yeah. all those guys who are like, we have like a bunch of Knicks fans on our staff that are just like never forgiven him for forcing the trade. This is now he wins them back. <laughs> Last four months, he helps them get the fourth pick of the draft yeah. by shooting 22 times a game. Yeah. Showing Kevin Knox the ways of the 11 foot jumper. Yeah. Okay. Here's what you do. Here, no, no, don't go to the line. Don't draw a foul. Step back 20, yeah. Kevin Knox. No, dribble a couple more yeah, seconds. Yeah, dribble a couple, pound the ball. Get make sure everybody's standing in place <laughs> and then fall backwards. I can't wait to see what happens. Chris Ryan, we can hear you in the watch. Yeah. Three watchables. Sure. Are we doing one more before you leave? When do you leave? I leave Saturday. A lot of collateral rumors. I, I, it's, 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 there's a lot of talk. A lot of social media push. Chris Ryan and I, our plan for the rewatchables is always 10 for them, one for us. We're almost at the one for us stage of this. We really are. Well, we get to Black Hat. Well, Black Hat will be like, that's when- We'll do Black Hat the night of the 2020 presidential election. Black Hat Black Hat will be our version of House of Cards season where Robin writes the president. <laughs> well, we're pretending <laughs> yeah. Black Hat's rewatchable. Yeah, but, but it's just like, how did we get another season out of this? Chris Ryan, thank you. Thanks, man. All right, we're going to get to Gladwell in one second. First, if you're frustrated with your company's travel management program or lack thereof, look at the trip actions. They take the pain out of corporate travel. Trip actions is the first travel management platform designed from the ground up with the road warrior in mind. Book your company's business travel from the app or desktop with 24-7 proactive support around the globe and incentives for employees to save on travel expenses. Companies large and small See over 90% adoption and save up to 34% on travel spend. Companies from Lyft to Sara Lee's Frozen Bakery trust trip actions with their business travel. They reward travelers for saving their company money. They'll reward you just for checking them out. Reshape your company's business travel today with trip actions. Go to tripactions.com slash BS. Complete a 30-minute demo with a trip actions account executive 
and you'll get a hundred dollar Amazon gift card. Kyle, you should do this. Can't wait. You love a hundred dollars. That's like how many drinks is that? Oh man, that could be like that could be twenty Jack drinks. and Cokes. That could be two hundred. That could be two hundred drinks. It's this month only. Tripactions.com slash BS for a free demo and a hundred dollar Amazon gift card. Be like nephew Kyle. Try it out. Tripactions.com slash BS. All right, here is Malcolm Gladwell. We taped this twenty four hours ago, but it's as fresh as a daisy. All right, Malcolm Gladwell is here. You're one of the only people who can demand to come on the podcast, and I'll actually agree. I did. I did. I did demand. I like sent you an email saying it's, it's got to happen. I even didn't. I even stipulate the time. You were like, I'm in LA these days. Yeah, I'm coming on the podcast. I'm like, okay. You know, I'll have is, mics ready. You know what this is called in uh, Hindi? This is called a darshan. A darshan is where the kind of loyal acolyte demands an audience with the with the guru with the the swami. That's this totally I, not what this is like. I, I it's not what her, this is like at all. I requested a darshan with Bill Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been thinking about you lately because. I, I'm, I'm just not writing anything. You I haven't stopped. written anything in like f- five, six months. I mean, yeah. our company got really complicated in a good way. We just have a lot of stuff going on and we have a lot of people. And I don't know whether it's an age thing or what, but the whole thought of just disappearing for five hours and staring at a blank Doc, I can't get it going. I actually had something that was due this week that I flaked on, which I never do. When you were 24, my guess is, you despised the sports guys who just were like talking heads. And you were like, I'm the guy sweating behind the typewriter. The rest of the guys 100%. are mailing it in. Now you've become that. You've no, become no, every- I didn't. I didn't. I despised the people who I could tell didn't like writing anymore, but were still turning stuff, ter- just mailing stuff in. Oh, you mean the Rick Riley phenomenon? I mean, I didn't say that. <laughs> Why? Yeah, I can't believe that. This, when I was 24, this, Rick Riley was really good. At this late stage, you are sensitive about like, about uh, you know, piling on Rick Riley. I, I think the thing for me is I still love sports the same way I always did. But what I, I just, I, I wrote so many words. I can't yeah. get motivated to you, sit in front of a computer you do and need just type up, anymore. You do need to update the book of basketball though. That is, I know. That is the one imperative. Well, especially I was thinking about the last, since 09, just all the ways the sport has changed, it's like a natural update for everything. Like not only all the legacy shit and LeBron's impact and how uh, how the league has shifted to the players and how fans now root for players over teams, which I'm just continually fascinated by. I, by the way, I have a great idea. Would you do the second edition of Book of Basketball? I have this great marketing idea. Yeah. So you're going to revisit the top 100, right? And then certain players are going to get kicked out of the top 100. It's like a nightclub. Yeah. No, I think you have to invite the people you're kicking out of the top 100 on the show and inform them. Oh, they're, they're, they're done. You got to sit down with like, I don't know who who's not making it. You're like, well, you know who's going to take a tumble is Mello. You got to sit down with Mello. You got to say, I'm sorry, man. You're not, you're out of the, you're out of the top 100. I don't think Mello ever made the top 100. You, you had him. No, he was, I had him as you like had him high. next generation. No, really? I no, yeah, you had yeah. him high. No, next generation. Wait, LeBron who, was high. Who's out of the top 100? Actually, that's too hard. Who's Probably, out of the top 50? Well, no, the guys, the guys who are get, getting bumped are the guys in the 90s. Cause we've had since 19, since 2009, a bunch of dudes just blossomed into top 100 guys. But like Durant. Yeah. Westbrook, James Harden. Um, I think Anthony Davis kind of has to be in the top 100. Yeah. And then yeah. some of the guys from the previous decade who 
weren't sure, but then a couple more things. Like I think Pau Gasol's in the top hundred now. Is yeah, I thought he was the Finals MVP in two thousand ten. Wait, so and had an eighteen year career and was basically an eighteen ten guy forever. So who's a good example of a nineties guy who falls out? I'm talking about yeah. In though the ranking was in the nineties. Oh, I see. So like yeah. I forget. I, I haven't seen the list in a while, but it's like the Kevin Johnson types are in trouble. I lo- you had Kevin. I remember you had Kevin Johnson in the eighties. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, and I thought that was too low at the time. I always thought he was on. He was just a completely unstoppable player. Well, there's another thing. Like if Kevin Johnson's in the league now, yeah, where there's no hand checking and you can go wherever you want, he's he's basically the most unguardable guy in the league. Yeah, it would be it would be like Kyrie, but like a stronger Kyrie. Yeah. So I don't know. I have to figure out all this. You stuff. could do. There's all kinds of really fun. Clay top- Thompson's another one who's in. Oh yeah, who's got to make? Yeah, you you could do these great lists of. Uh, uh, wrong era players. So I would yeah. love to see the top 10 players from earlier eras who would have just destroyed the league in its if they were playing now. Well, it's mostly the shooter types, like Maravich. Yeah. Maravich was like, they didn't even have the three-pointer. And then the year it came to the league, he was like, it was his last year in the league. But by all accounts, he had like 30-foot range. I mean, he was basically Curry before Curry. Yeah. And, and does it, maybe not as good of a shooter. Doesn't Bird's career look completely different if he plays now? He he jacks way, way more threes. A lot more threes. And he becomes like even more unguardable. Am I right? I don't know. I, I struggle on whether the threes are, you know, the current generation loves of fans and media loves the three because it's their generation. Like this is better. There's yeah. more scoring. Not convinced it's better yet. Like I, last night, Portland, we're taping this on a Monday. Portland was playing Boston. The Celtics had a two on one. All Jason Tatum. My 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 third child, Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. I have my son, my daughter, and then Jason Tatum. All you have to do is just run a straight line and gets a layup. So yeah. two on one, the dribbler's on the left, the guy's in the middle. Tatum just fills the lane layup. This is how you play basketball. Instead, he just veers to the corner so he could take a three because threes are worth more than two. It makes total sense, but missed the three. Did I would have rather had the layup. Yeah. Especially at the point of the game it was. But my point is like, the way these guys are playing now, they're trained now to veer to the corners on fast breaks. And, you know, so I look at somebody like Bird, who was such a good inside-outside guy. He would have shot more three. He would shot mm-hmm. more threes. But I don't think he would have given up the inside stuff because that was such a big part of who he was. Yeah. You know, I think Barkley would have been a catastrophe. Oh, I think Barkley would have jacked up 12 threes a game. He's, oh, see, his yeah. whole style yeah. would have changed Yeah, for the worse. Yeah. Some guys wouldn't have changed at all. Like Carl Malone, I think he would have stayed the same. The, the bigger problem for those guys is the pace. The pace of how they play now, I think it really would have been tough for some of those guys as they got older. Like Carl Malone played an extra eight years because the pace had slowed down mm-hmm. so much. Or Shaq, people like that. It just would have, would have been rough. The pace is the most fascinating thing to me this year. Bird, though, once again, isn't he, I think you told me, what, is it he? There's a handful of, uh, as a runner, I'm always interested in this, of NBA players who are really good runners. And Bird is one of them. Right. A he su- was. A superbly, like really, really superb aerobic, aerobically Ooh. fit guy. Which is weird because I think he might have smoked cigs during the summer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Bird, Bird uh, <laughs> even the, advan- the advanced metrics and all that stuff are very favorable for him. Barkley is another one. There's certain guys that you can kind of project. You know, if you just tweak their game certain ways, what it would have looked like. Now there's other guys that I just can't figure out 
how they would have translated. Like, what is Dennis Johnson? Yeah. In 2018, like he, his range was 17 feet. You can't play guards now who can't shoot threes, really. So weird times. Weird times for the league where you have um, the Wade, Chris Paul, Carmelo, LeBron generation is basically out the door now, except for LeBron. Like Chris mm-hmm. Paul's really started to slip this year. So now it's that Harden, Westbrook, Durant, uh, Steph Curry, that generation, it's now their league, like through and through. The old guys are now the old guys, even though they're only 33, 34, but they're like the old guys. It's like yeah. Carmelo Anthony. It's like year 16, you can't play anymore, or year 15, whatever. It Wait, is. so <clears throat> to return, are you gonna are you gonna update Book of Basketball? I mean, I should. The answer is I should. I just, I, I don't know. I do like, I like the idea of you breaking everyone who gets demoted. You have to break it to them personally. This is, it would be like you you would go to their home, you would hold their hand, you would offer them some Kleenex. You would say, I, this is not about you. This is about basketball. You're like, it would be great. You could that was- film it. You know, <laughs> it's or not like you, it's the league. <laughs> Bill Embiid, Bill Embiid would break into tears, and you would be like, you give him a kind of awkward hug. You'd say it's okay, Bill. I don't think Bill Embiid made it. You did. You Which I gotta look and see who you, made we the had 90s. to. Yeah, I can't even believe you can't remember who's in your your top hundred. I haven't looked at it in a while. I I was really fascinated with like Dirk, and people like that who, after I wrote the book, made a jump. So Dirk is now yeah. like. 16, 17, 18, something like that. I think Durant's in the top 20 now. Mm-hmm. And LeBron is obviously skyrocketed. But other than that, I mean, the, the biggest one for the top 20 is probably Curry, whether he can put together enough healthy seasons because, you know, he's one of the most influential basketball players. Like every era is defined by a player, and now he defines this one. Yeah. And that's a pretty big. <clears throat> A, you know, you had the Russell Wilt generation, you had the Cream generation, then you had Bird of Magic, and then you had MJ, and then you had Kobe for better or worse, mm-hmm. and then LeBron, and now it's Curry. This, um, since we're talking NBA history, this is the perfect segue. Yeah. To one of the reasons, one of the things I want to talk about. Yeah. My grand unified theory of ethnic basketball. Yeah, is this going to, am I going to get in trouble for this? You're not, first of all, you're not getting in trouble. Okay. I have I have road tested this argument on several ringer staffers. Okay. And no one has several ringer staffers. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I was gonna write this as an article for the ringer, but just like you, I why write it when I can just like talk it? Why there sweat it out in front of a in front of a computer? Okay, so here's the theory. The theory is that the finest basketball players in the world are Nigerians. And in fact, a Nigerian team, all-star team, all-time all-star team would be the greatest basketball team of all time. Okay, now. What do you mean Nigerians? Like who? Well, hear me out. Okay, here are the rules. I'll give you the rules. The rules are, we have four teams in this makeshift imaginary league. We have the African-American team. We have the white American team. We have the Euro team. And we have the Nigerian team. All right? Okay. Those are the rules. They're going to play a full season. You can pick anyone from any point in basketball history and you get their best season, okay? Uh, full season, by the way, is important. It's not a short series. So chemistry is going to matter on this thing. You got to play 82 games. Uh, and you get, you belong according to your, it's really where your parents are born that matters, that that, that tells you which team you're on. Okay. Okay. So, and I'm going to play a, a, a number of small games 
uh, with my definition of what a Nigerian is. But I think at the end, you're going to agree that the Nigerians win. Um, all right. So who's I don't it? think anyone has gotten has had more fun with being biracial and <laughs> and dancing on the third rail than you. You love um, it the most of anyone and, I've ever met. And before I go any further, let me just say that Nigerians, I have a special place in my heart for reasons I will explain for Nigerians. Yeah. There's two reasons. I'll give you the first reason, which is my, I was thinking about this actually, today actually. It's when I was a kid, my dad was a, a uh, uh, math professor and he had grad students and the grad students in our household were the revered, the golden children, right? They would come to our house for dinner. My father would talk about them in, in sort of, as if they were his own children. And his grad students, his first graduate that I remember when I was like six or seven was a Nigerian. And then he had Indians and Africans basically for his entire career. So as a kid, you know how when you're a kid, your reality is defined by the world you live in. I thought that Smart people, the geniuses in the world, were all Nigerians and, Af and Indians. Yeah. So, you know, I was sort of, I had a set of racial biases that were 100% different from the world's racial biases. I thought, like, white people, I don't see any white people in my father's <laughs> background. Like, they're all Indians and Nigerians. It must be that white people are a step slow. That was my yeah. sort of feeling growing up. Um, anyway, so Nigerians, this is, I come by my obsession with Nigerians, honestly. All right. Um, so here's the Nigerian team. Hakeem, at his height, right? Fantastic. Uh, Andre Gadawa, Victor Oladipo. Okay, those are our obvious Nigerian candidates. Now, Giannis, let's not forget. Giannis, born in Greece, but under my rule, parents matter. His parents are Nigerian. So now we have Giannis, Hakeem. As Oladipo. Oladipo and- Iguodala. Iguodala in the backcourt. Um, <clears throat> okay, first wrinkle. I had my, I have to make, I had my 23andMe done the other day, and uh, I am 23% Igbo, Igbo being the dominant tribe in Nigeria. Why? Because that's where black people in, in the West Indies came from Nigeria or West Africa prominent. So I think you can legitimately claim that anyone from Caribbean, from the Caribbean belongs on the Nigerian team. So you're just claiming it's like a territorial draft yes. like they used to have in yes, exactly. basketball in the late 50s. Exactly. So what is grabbing mean? everybody. I'm grab so I can grab, that means I get Tim Duncan from the Virgin Islands. Okay. Right? I get Patrick, Patrick Ewing. Oh yeah, because he was, what was he, Caribbean? No. Yeah. Jamaican. Um, Jamaican. Jamaican, yeah, yeah. Born in Jamaica. Yeah. yeah. He's the real deal. And of course I get, you say, so wait a So think about my team now. I've got, my front court is Giannis, Hakeem, and Duncan. Patrick and Duncan. Now, Patrick's coming off the bench on that team. He's coming off the bench. And my backcourt right now is... Oladipo and Iguodala. Iguodala. Now, you he, say I don't have, have shooters. Size. I don't have shooters, right? Yeah. So I need a shooter. Where do I... Let's just think. Oh, wait a minute. One of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. His father is Bahamian. Oh, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. I got Clay. Okay, so now this team is starting. I still don't understand how you went from Nigerian <laughs> to you're just grabbing all these other countries that end in IAN. It's legit. By the way, talk to, I know this is, because whenever I speak to Nigerians who have been to Jamaica, they always say the same thing. Or Jamaicans who have been to Nigeria. Like, I was talking to this Nigerian recently who had just come back from Kingston. He was like, I got the plane and I was like, this is Lagos. Right. It's the same thing. It's, it's the same culture, just it's in two different places. So this is totally legit, what I'm doing. Okay. <clears throat> so as now you, you say, say so. So now we say, okay, so this is, this is becoming a very good team. It's a pretty good team. It's a pretty good team. I like your size. But I'm not done. I'm not done. 
So now I think the last move I want to make is I think it's fair because Nigeria is just one little country for them to also lay claim on neighboring African states. I think that's fair. So who can I add food by neighboring African states? Well, who, who grew up next door to Nigeria? Joel Embiid, mm. right? I you get a lot of centers on this team. I got to beat. But now, so what am I missing? I got it. So now I got- You have no point guard. I need a point guard, right? So where am I going to find a point guard? I don't know. Just keep adding countries to <laughs> add a point guard. Wait, Bill, Bill, this is a good question for you. This is a creaky question. Where am I going to find a point guard from sub-equatorial Africa close to Nigeria? One of the greatest point guards in the game. Who's that? You don't know? No. Steve Nash. Born in Johannesburg. Oh, wow. So I got, listen to this, listen to this team. And tell me, I defy you to come up with a, a better team than this. I have a starting backcourt of Clay and Nash, both in their primes. Yeah. And I have across the front, I got Duncan, Giannis, Hakeem, and Patrick and Embiid coming off the bench. And I haven't even mentioned DeAndre Ayton. I could do him. And Iguodala. I got Iguodala coming off the bench for D well, and Oladipo. Well, you might as well get Serge Ibaka as the 12th man in the Congo. Can you go to the Congo? Do we, do we even need... Why is this get team just... Why don't you just call it African? Why is it Nigerian? <laughs> well, because the heart. It's, it's heart is Nigeria. So it's the capital. Of it's the, I mean, this is really... This is about Nigerians owning... The fact that they can put together the greatest basketball team of all time. I don't think you can try, just try, try and come up with a team that beats that under so, my category. So part of this theory is you feel like Nigeria in general is underrated. Completely underrated. An athletic powerhouse. Completely underrated. Look, look what I've just done. With Nigerians, near Nigerians, and transplanted Nigerians, I put together, first of all, defensively, think about this. I can put it's a on long a athletic team. I can put, yeah, Iguodala at his height is what, and Clay Thompson are two of the greatest lockdown defenders in the backcourt. And then I have Hakeem, Patrick, and Duncan. And as, Giannis. And Giannis. How is anyone scoring on that team? It's pretty good. I still feel like, so the foreign team you could grab a, so what qualifies as foreign since you just grabbed a hundred countries? No. <laughs> Well, the you grabbed all the countries with IAN at the <laughs> no, end. No, no, no. The entire continent of Europe, for example, is open for. So, what would your European team be? But I, be? see, I think you should have more, more um, countries slash regions in this, and it should be like an eighteen. Well, league. this thing is no one else can compete, right? Europe can. But compete. you need a couple also rants. You do oh, the yeah. Europe, and you have France and Spain and Germany, and you can actually put together a pretty good team with that. Once you add, you. Yeah, you is have Argentina? No, that's South America. Yeah, but there's one great Argentinian player. Well, I'm trying to think. Well, by your rule, I, we just we just take <laughs> South America and put well, it in okay, Europe. No, no. Okay, since Manu is at his family is historically Italian, we'll give him to the Euro team. But I don't think does is Manu, that true? Manu, the name Manu Ginobili, like in tons and tons and tons of Italians in Argentina. His family clearly came from it to Italy sometime in but the But you last. have no proof of this. You're just guessing. I don't need proof. It's like, you know, what do you what do you know about Argentina? So Argentina maybe we is, put Manu in because he, he seemed kind of Italian. You're not playing the game. Give, let's <laughs> construct the Euro team. And I'm going to prove to you my the Nigerian team. Well, the Euro, oh, the, your team is going to be better. I'm just saying the Euro team could have a chance to be pretty good. Okay, who's on it? Well, Dirk Nowitzki's on it. Nowitzki. He's like the 16th best player Parker of all time. Parker's the point guard. Parker's Dr on it. Drazen Petrovic. Italian Manu Ginobili is Manu on Ginobili. it. Uh, you know who's on Gallinari. this team? Is Peja. 
Pages on oh, yeah, you get all the Croatians and the Serbians, right? Of course you do. You get the Nurkiches and the Nokiches. Do I get Russians? The, the Donkiches. Yeah, why not? But it, you, you're going to get Sabonis, the, the father. So I get early Sabonis. Early Sabonis. But that's a game changer. He was one of the best centers of all time. He's not better than Akeem. No, but he's at least, if I get 1986 Sabonis, yeah. I have something. You get that. And you're, you just have a problem with defense on that team. If you're going to start Peja and Drazen Petrovic and... You know, we'd have team chemistry problem because who who can trust the French? Well, no, I mean, the no, French you have team chemistry problems because you're going to be mixing. Aren't you mixing Serbians and Croatians? I think you are. Yeah, but this is this <laughs> is a whole parallel universe. Everyone's getting along in this universe. There's no war. No, 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 no. This is legit because I think this is the. I think. Wait a second, Petrovic. Am I wrong? Petrovic is Serbian. No, um, I should know this because we wait, did a Kyle's whole thirty for thirty on this. Yeah, it was. No, Petrovic was was uh, Croatian. Croatian. Vlade was Serbian. Oh, and that's I when see. they split up. That's why they it broke up their friendship. It goes. That's one of our best thirty thirties. I never seen that. I like that one. Yeah. It was a good one. No, the chemistry thing is what dooms the African American team because you're going to put Jordan and LeBron on the court at the same time. I don't think that works. Jordan and LeBron. I would say having Kobe barrel <laughs> Kobe, into it. Yeah, wouldn't be. <laughs> I mean, you have like, but can you? I don't even know what would happen. If you had LeBron and Kobe and Jordan in their prime on the court together, that would self-destruct. How does but, that go into But that games? team also has Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain and I don't know. That team's pretty loaded. You, I would still I, don't, I would bet on that team personally. You would go, you'd take that over my makeshift Nigerian team. Is makeshift the word we're using now? <laughs> well, because it's illegal. It involves an expansive definition of the term Nigerian. I think this is like the seventh different time we've had some form of this conversation. You love you, the racial basketball league. It's like your favorite thing. It's my favorite thing ever. Well, here's why it's interesting though, because uh, Africa, think about Africa and China. You have two countries where basketball is an emerging and yes. powerful. And the talent pool, I've already, like, even now where Nigeria, 99% of, you know, young athletic Nigerian men are not playing basketball. However, even given that, I can assemble a group of Nigerians who are pretty formidable. Imagine if basketball ever takes hold in Africa, in West Africa, in a big way, that uh, the, the available pool of talent for the NBA just goes to the roof. Well, Embiid, it's funny because Embiid has become such a personality now. Yeah. And he's been in our lives for a while and people don't realize how incredible his story is. But he was the the biggest basketball, what's it called basketball without borders. He was the biggest success story of that. They yeah. found him in some program created to find people like Joel Embiid, and to target people who were good athletes who might be able. To, and then now he's Joel Embiid. He's an MVP candidate this year. Yeah, I still feel like Hakeem is the all time. I wrote about this in my book that he's the freakiest. What I can't have? believe that happened. Story in the in basketball history. Do you, do you remember where you had him in your? Yeah, I'm like I'm like eleventh. He Hakeem was unbelievable. He yeah. slipped through the cracks. Yeah. yeah, I think of history. Some of these guys, you know, depending on whether they were on TV or whether they constantly get compared to current guys, then they kind of live on. Like somebody like Barkley, who I think you know is probably not even in the top twenty anymore at this point. He's probably right on the fringe, but he's been on TV for yeah. eighteen years, yeah. and he's in our lives, and Shaq's in our lives all the time. But Moses Malone disappeared and then he died. And it's like Moses Malone actually had a better career than Shaq. 
You got to break. Uh, you gonna have to break it to Charles Barkley. He's out of the top twenty. That's not. That's going to be. Really but he was emotional. right on the fringe. Yeah. Well, he he'll get mad when he finds out Durant jumped him. <laughs> did by the way? Did he? Did Akeem go back to? Is he still in Houston? Do you know where? Where is he? Was yeah, Akeem's in Houston. He's in Houston. But Akeem, to to take somebody who just <clears throat> played soccer and then his body grew to the point that he was just too tall for soccer. Yeah. And then just was like, I should try this other sport, but had all the soccer footwork. I, we're not seeing that again. It's a complete fluke. Yeah. The growth spurt combined with somebody who probably would have been a world-class soccer player if he had just stuck with soccer. The soccer I'm like, Have you seen Zion yet? I, I saw, I just seen clips from that first Duke game. Hold on, we're taking a break. Quick break to talk about our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make, but today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with higher payments, turning a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval, which means you have the strength of a cash buyer once verified. You qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval and they'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. If rates go down, you get to keep the lower rate. Either way, you win. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 30, 30. I haven't been this excited for a college player I was really excited for Ben Simmons, but I think at least a part of it was that he had the same name as my son. <laughs> Durant was the last one I was like out of my mind. Yeah. I really watched a lot of those games. I For me, Duke is can't miss television this year. I've never seen anything like what Zion did last week. Can I point out that the second best player on Duke? Is probably Zion. No. Oh, who do you think is the best player? R.J. Barrett's unbelievable. I just love Zion Bill, the most, I, but R.J. Barrett was oh, unbelievable. Oh, so you really like R.J. Barrett. Where do you think R.J. Barrett's from? Canadian. Yeah, more than that. Jamaican. R.J. Barrett's Jamaican? Yes, of course he is. Where do you, th where do you think Jamaicans go? We all went to Canada. That's like our first stop on the... Totally. Why did Jamaicans end up in Canada? That is actually... what I asked my mother this many questions. I was like, of all, many times, of all the places for, for Jamaicans to go... Why on earth would they pick not just Canada? They all go to Toronto, which is like winds, like this kind of windswept flats. Like it's the exact opposite of Jamaica. And there's hundreds, there's 200,000 Jamaicans in Toronto now. I've no, I did never, never, I've never made sense of it. There's got to be some reason though. Well, there's a formal reason, which is that Jamaica is part of the Commonwealth and they were preferential immigration patterns. Uh. But <clears throat> beyond that, it, my, my mother has shivered every winter for the last 40 years. And you say to her, what are you doing in this climate? And she's like, I have no idea. I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know how it happened. <laughs> Your dad wanted to come here, like that kind of thing. We're reduced to like, no, it's, it's the whole thing is, because the, the other places, I mean, there's lots of Jamaicans in Miami, makes sense. But then tons of them end up in New York and London and uh, Toronto, which is just crazy. It's always funny when people end up in bad weather locations with no explanation. Yeah. Like when I finally left and came out here and I was like, oh, okay. I get it now. I get it. Yeah. Nephew Kyle, you were like that. Oh, yeah. amazing. I haven't He's shoveled any snow. Upstate New York. But um, 
Wait, there was, was the, go backwards. There was, what were we just talking about right before this? The Jamaican? Uh, oh, RJ Barrett and Zion. RJ Barrett is, so I get him on my team. He's on my, I add him to my team. You understand? He's my rookie. You Aiden, can have him. I have Aiton and RJ coming off the bench. My rookie's off the bench. Well, he could be, potentially back up Nash. The Zion thing's really fun because I love when basketball players have just crazy one of a kind bodies that we've never seen before. Yeah. You know, like when you look at the the Barkley footage, especially young, young Barkley, when he, when he was carrying weight and the way he, he's only six, four and he was, was jumping over seven footers for rebounds and was just this pogo stick, but he was built like, I don't know, like a, like a penguin with long leg. I don't even know what his body was like. Yeah. Nobody wanted to take a charge from him. It was just nobody like him. I was like, what is this guy? And Manute Ball was like that. You know, when you saw Manute Ball in person, you'd be like, what the fuck is going on? This guy's seven foot six. Like, how how is this happening? And I think the Zion thing is like that too. Yeah. Where he's 285 pounds. He's so phenomenal. He's got ballet feet and he's got a 45 inch vertical leap. And he's just like, he just seems like the kid in Little League who's too big and everyone's asking for the birth certificates. Yeah. But he's in college. And he's not, he can't be, he can't be. He's how, how old is he? 18? Yeah, he's a legit like uh, freshman year in college. So whatever he's, year he's going to gr- keep growing. He's not done. He can't well, that's done. the thing. So if he's 285 now, but he's not fat, he's like just one of those like thick, thick dudes who should be like a tight end in football. But it, you add stuff, he's eventually going to be 300 pounds. That is just unbelievable. And he'll probably yeah. be over 300 pounds. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of the most I, fascinating you know, I, things. I, I saw, this is a minor version of this, but uh, some time ago, I was on a panel and one of the people on the panel was Warren Sapp. <clears throat> and I, it, the panel was in this like, kind of we're doing this thing in this sort of restaurant. It was a thing about concussions. <clears throat> and it was a really crowded stage. And there were all these kind of chairs everywhere and there were big boxes. And, and he comes from the other side of the stage and he kind of, I watched him and he kind of pirouettes around one obstacle, leaps over a box, does a kind of spin around. He, it was like a ballet dancer. Right. And the, but it's Warren Sapp. Light he's feet. Enorm, he's 300 feet guy. or yeah. 300 pounds and light feet. And it was just like that, that idea. I've never got, that image is still in my head because I've never, I just, you never expect to see someone that wide. And he's, you know, he's like a wide guy, that big, have that kind of delicate. It, it was, it was, he moved with delicacy. Yeah. It was just, it was, I, was I like, like seeing though, Giannis yeah. is like that too. And Giannis is having a moment this season. But when you oh, see you mean him in the Nigerian, I would like you to refer to him as the Nigerian yeah, the, superstar. The, Giannis? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's uh, having a moment this year, but he, he's one of those guys like you have to see him in person. Yeah. And I think the NBA has an inordinate amount of guys like that this year for some reason. You know, I think Curry is like that. All guys that if you're a real basketball fan, you just have to go once just to see it. Mm-hmm. And Giannis is is uh, outrageous in person and has the same thing that young LeBron did. He has that shrink the court thing mm-hmm. when he gets a steal in midcourt and it's like two steps and he's dunking and you're like, what just happened? Did the court get smaller? So um, I don't, but I don't understand the Bucks at all this season. Is it really the case that changing your coach can turn you from? Yeah. Yes. I was saying this last spring. They should have beaten the Celtics last spring. They they were terribly coached. And now they have a coach who is saying basically, oh, we should play our best players together. Oh, yeah. we should play faster. We have the greatest athlete in the league. So the the old who was the old coach's name? 
Well, it was Jason Kidd got fired. Oh, Kidd got fired, but- And then poor Joe Prunty took over and he was- not So legitimate, so neither of those two guys should really ever get a coaching gig again. Since now we and know how- Probably won't, yeah. Yeah, how, how extraordinarily they- they it's just awful. When you have great athletes, you just have to let them be great athletes. And when you have five good players, you should play them together. They made a couple of good signings too, though. They have Brooke Lopez. It's yeah. it's one of those yeah. things. This is the first year <laughs> I noticed that um, a lot of the stuff people were expecting for like teams to make the quote unquote leap, everybody kind of had the same teams. And even Vegas was doing the over under for wins, like when Sal and House and I are trying to do the things. And the number was higher than we wanted it to be. It was like people knew. And I just think we have so much information now about pace and um, players and contract years. And you, you can kind of just throw it on a stew and stir the stew. And then sometimes it's like the Celtics right now where they have so much talent. Everybody thought they were going to be awesome. And then it doesn't work. So basketball still keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Because ultimately it's a chemistry sport. It's a bit early to say it doesn't work. What? In Boston, I mean, it's now they just have November. to figure out which which yeah. players to play in the right. Yeah, they they uh, it's the old too many guys thing. It's fascinating. The guy when the Rockets won twenty two straight in two thousand eight with T Mac, they had this team that if you look back at the team, it makes no sense. It's like mm -hmm. why did this happen? Yeah. And like Yao, I think Yao Ming or Dikembe got hurt halfway through the streak. And by the end of it, they had seven guys. But they were just playing really well together. Everybody knew their roles. And like when I was trying to make the wine cellar team in my book, it wasn't an all-star, the greatest of all time team. It was like, how do these guys all mm -hmm. fit together? Mm -hmm. I think the problem with the Celtics is the guys don't fit together yet. And they yeah. they they don't, they haven't figured out which who their best five is. Should Hayward come off the bench? And then also like jacking up threes, which is like this illness for NBA teams now. They take 40 threes in a game and nobody goes to the basket. Meanwhile, they have seven guys who can get to the basket anywhere they want. It's a weird, it's a weird time for basketball. I, I'm not as euphoric about it as some other people. I think the talent is fantastic. Yeah. But I, I still feel like just watching teams jack up threes all the time. Do you, do you worry sometimes, Bill, that you're turning into your dad? You become this like cranky old, I don't know I about do. this newfangled three-point thing. Well, I worry that at some point, it's just going to be everybody shooting 55 threes. Well, I mean, that, that isn't, the, isn't that like the most logical? Once you've accepted the logic of shooting 20 a game, then 50 is even more logical, is it not? Like you're still no going to need, you're going to need the actual talent to win the title, but you can get in a situation like what, where Houston like was almost able to steal it from the Warriors with threes and defense and one guy who could create a shot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't like anything where the style just becomes the style every single team does. I would still like a world where some people did that style, but other people said, Hey, no, no, we're going to pound it down low. And, mm -hmm. you know, like different forms of basketball in the same yeah. league versus just everybody plays the same. This reminds me, I have this uh, friend named Roger Martin, who's a really brilliant guy. He's a huge basketball fan. And he has this totally, did I ever run this by you? This totally crazy idea about how to fix basketball, which is that he thinks, you know, in hockey, there's the continuation rule on a penalty. He thinks there should be a continuation rule in basketball. In other words, instead of stopping to play on a foul, the, the, guy, the guy comes off? 
No, no, no. No, because you know, in in hockey, I'm I'm sure I'm botching this, but you the play continues until some until a turnover, right? Until a so he's like, why does it why is it the case that the that a foul in basketball has to stop the play? Why not have the ref put up his arm like in hockey and the play continues until some Well, what if somebody's like on the court and lying on the court because they just got hacked? Well, no, you can have some you know, if that that would be one of that would be logically one of I'm assuming continuation one from of basketball. <laughs> no, no, think about it, Bill. <clears throat> you have a game which is uh, which is premised on that kind of uh, uh, spontaneity and freedom of movement, and yet because of the the role of the referees is reduced to these little stops and starts. Right? It's not soccer. Is the thing that's so appealing about soccer and hockey is the is the con- the continuity of the play. If basketball solved its continuity problem, it would be even more electric. And what he's saying is that this is a way of doing it, that you don't need to assess the foul at the point of the foul. You could hold the foul in your back pocket and assess it when the play stops. So if I'm driving to the hole and I got foul, I get, you know, not in the act of shooting, fouled on the way, but I keep going, the ref puts up his arm, signals that a foul has been committed. And then everyone just keeps and playing. And lets the play continue. I kind of I, I mean, but what so, happens if the other team scores? It doesn't count. Then it becomes more confusing. Those are Rogers worked up the details. I don't know the details. <laughs> seems like that, to, that's an important part of the detail. No, my point is, my point is, basketball has one flaw. I think, particularly, you know, you know, the end of games, particularly in the playoffs, is. I mean, it's unwatchable. I there are some games which just the last five minutes takes. And you have to, at some point, you have to think about ways of fixing it. And people have various ideas. But this is one way of fixing that, of saying that a foul does not necessarily, uh, and it also changes the the, the uh, concept behind intentional fouling, right? Takes it off the table. Well, maybe it, that's, they could try it in the G League and see if it works. Yeah. I'm excited for the souped up G League, where we pay anyone right out of high school 125K. You don't have to go to college. Yeah. The fraud of college is now over. Just come here. Wouldn't, we'll if you, you want to compete with college, wouldn't you have to pay more than 125? That's I, been that's I, been the running joke. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you got to do better than that. But anyway, you think yes. like you'd bump yeah. it to 200. Yeah. Would you? Um, would the league sponsor be Cadillac so you can just supply everyone with an Escalade and like <laughs> get, get it over with? <laughs> so, <laughs> they might have to do that. I uh, I want that to happen because I I think college is ludicrous at this point. And I fight with Tate, Titus and uh, Tate, who do our college basketball pod about it. But like, well, we, they're like Zion's going to be in college until March 30th, April 4th, however long they last. Yeah. And then he's going to drop out to work for the draft, what, to work what, out for the draft. So he's going to be in college for six months. What's the, what's how the is point? that, how is he a college student? Yeah. He is not going to be in college on April 8th. Why? Everyone else will be in college doing final exams. Guess what? He's not going to be taking final he's exams. He's not taking final exams. So no, why is he in college? What, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. We we discussed years ago this idea, which I think deserves re-airing, that uh, a player can be drafted at any time and can remain in college. Right. And The, the team, baseball style. Yeah. The team just puts his salary into escrow and it doesn't count against the cap. So if you want, if you think someone... Could could use another two years of Coach K. You you draft my you draft my fellow Canadian Jamaican, and you say you want to spend another you want to spend another year in at Duke. By all means, we're putting your your what is your rookie salary? How much is that? Whatever it is. Your, I mean, it's a couple million. Couple million. Like, well, 
We're putting it in DeAndre escrow. Ayton's going to make like $8 million this yeah, year. We're putting it in escrow. You get it when you come out. I just, I think it's unconstitutional. I, I've flipped my opinion on this a hundred times, but after watching those Duke guys last week, yeah, all these guys should be in the NBA. All three of those guys, because Reddish was really good too. Yeah. I don't know what, what are we trying to do now? These guys, and I think the last time we talked about how much more polished these guys are. In the old days, that whole rule was kind of to protect the guys from themselves. Because mm-hmm. they would mm-hmm. come in and they were so raw. I still remember T Mac as a rookie going to a Celtics Toronto game and he was hurt and he was just wearing this big giant talking hedge suit, you know, that he obviously thought was a good purchase. And yeah. he had like an earring on and he was like 18, just this kid from South Carolina who all of a sudden is living in the in NBA. Toronto, by the way. Living in Toronto Freezing and he cold. just was so desperately trying to seem cool. And it was like, everyone's like, oh, look how adorable he is trying to yeah. look like an NBA player. These guys now come in and they're like finished products, yeah. all of them. So, you know, I think from what they're exposed to, I have a lot of theories on this actually, because I think they learn from the previous generations too. Like you learn from the mistakes of your elders, right? So they learn from all like the 30 for 30 we did broke. They've learned that less than a hundred different ways. They learn, oh, don't, don't do stupid shit on social media. Don't take Instagram videos with some girl at six in the morning. And that might happen. Yeah. Like all these lessons <clears throat> they've now learned and they come in and they're pretty polished and they, they've been in front of cameras yeah. They give interviews, like they already know how to do this, like freaking generic talk speak stuff. Will you, be, will you be teaching your son these lessons? Will you sit him down at one point and say, all right, no Instagram sets? Yeah, <laughs> my son, <laughs> my son's beyond hope. He's really, he's, he's yeah, he's going to be, he's going to be doing his thing. Wait, wait, he's uh, going to drop in the draft because people are going to be worried <laughs> about his ability to handle success. You, um, is it, am I remembering correctly that, Vince Carter and T-Mac were cousins. Yeah. Have we done the 30 for 30 on that family? I mean, are there other, do they happen to have a, a, you know, a couple of other all-time athletes in their immediate They were family? like legit cousins too, because I think we see somewhere they're like third cousins, eighth cousins. Yeah. I yeah. actually think they were like legitimately cousins. That is, I might, those kind of, um, you know, there's the McCaffreys. There's that family, which I always fascinates me where, do you know what the McCaffreys? There's, so McCaffrey- Christian McCaffrey. Christian's dad, Ed, is in the league. Yeah. His mom, am I remembering this correctly? His mom was a world-class athlete. His grandfather, I think, was either the world record holder in a 100-meter dash or uh, close to it. Yeah. May have been in the Met. I mean, it's one of these bananas families where everywhere you look. And then not only is, so the dad's side has got, maybe it's the mom's side. But I just love, like, it's not enough that your grandfather was a Olympian then you go and you marry, you know, some insanely, some equally insanely great athlete. This is something my buddy Bish, <clears throat> one of my oldest friends from high school, we were always obsessed with 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 great athletes marrying each other. It's like one of my favorite topics. He had, we had a friend of ours, Hopper. His sister was like this really good track athlete. Like she, I think she competed in the Olympics. And then she married a star football player. And we would just talk like, oh my God, they're going to have super have kids. You, have you checked in on them? I they <laughs> I haven't checked in to see what happened with the kids. But um, but I always I always love the concept of these awesome athletes 
marrying another awesome athlete. Isn't this what Yao was? Was it Yao's? Yeah, Yao was like strict. An arranged marriage. His parents were an arranged marriage. Yeah, that marriage. one was like strategically engineered. Yeah, they like found the seven footer in this yeah. province and like- China does some weird shit. Yeah, they do some. I think I would be quite, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the East Germans were doing the same thing in the 70s. Like, you know, they- Oh, they were doing so they much have. They were doing so many other things that you would have thought this was a natural extension. They were doing so much of that. They couldn't help themselves. Let's take a quick break. Let's take a break to talk about our old, 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 old dear friends at Squarespace. God, we've been friends for so long. Turn your dream into reality with Squarespace to make it easier than ever to launch your passion project. Whether you're looking to start a new business, showcase your work, publish content, sell products, and more, Squarespace, the tool for you. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers and the ability to customize just about anything with a few clicks, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. Squarespace's powerful e-commerce functionality let you sell anything online. Analytics help you grow your site in real time. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box, and there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Buying domains is simple. You'll get the help you need with Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support. They empower millions of people to turn great ideas into something where you can be designer, lawyer, artist, gamer, restaurant, whatever. Head to squarespace.com slash BS for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Use the offer code BS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash BS offer code BS. Back on the on families and athletes and genes. Serena and Venus being sisters is kind of underrated though. It is. Serena is probably the greatest women's athlete of all time. She's it's actually an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Um but Venus is also probably one of, I don't know, the seven or eight best women's tennis players ever. And they were related. And, and they also were sisters. Very different kinds of tennis players. Totally. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think, I think a hundred years from now, when somebody's looking through, assuming we still have a planet at that point, um, somebody would be looking through like, wow, they were sisters? That's unbelievable. But we knew them as the sisters. So we just kind of grew up with it. Yeah, but like, there's no basketball brothers like that where one guy's a four time MVP and the other person made All NBA four times. Doesn't happen. Wait, let's think about this. What are the greatest sibling pairs? Well, in basketball, it was like nobody. It was like the the Grant brothers, the Grants. Yes, people Grants. like it was like the nobody. The Gasols. The Gasols are probably the best version of probably this. the best. Yeah. Neither of them won the MVP. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like if if Pau Gasol was Tim Duncan. That would be like the Serena yeah. uh Wait, Venus you know, thing. Going back to the to marriage, to marriages, we missed the greatest one of all time, which is Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf. Right. And because, they can end up playing baseball. Because Steffi, people forget about Steffi that <clears throat> she was an amazing runner. Yeah. She was a quarter miler. And it's there's a legit claim that she could have, if she'd focused on track, could have gone to the Olympics in track. So we're talking about some epic genes from her end of the conversation. Yeah, I, w- I would say if you were going to put the two together, right, and you're mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's the perfect mix, you would want one of the people to have incredible hand-eye. Yeah. And then you would want the other parent to just have, like, the perfect structural No, awesome I think you body. want one parent to be a, a total kind of grinder, like a like one of those. Which, what you want, you need to have some... You need character. I mean, this is, we're, we're engaging, by the way, in the most reprehensible form of like genetic generalizations, but nonetheless. No, I'm just, I'm just thinking what's the best blend of I know, those I know. two But parents. I'm saying 
the blend you have the blend has got to be athletic ability but you also you want you want like someone who you want the kind of like stick tuitiveness conscientiousness discipline up at 6 a.m kind of thing but i don't think that can come from a parent i think that's actually like luck of the lottery with the kid because right. why is steph curry why was steph curry like that like i don't think it was because like I don't know if his parents passed that along, but I think his parents passed along this crazy hand-eye coordination that Del Curry had. Yeah. Somehow that transferred know? to Steph. Yeah. Because yeah. he was, you know, a great shooter in his own right. That has there has to be some DNA in that. How good how good a shooter was Del Curry? He was great. He was one of the original, like great three-point shooters. If he do we we don't imagine that if he was around today, he would be as good as his son, or do we? We're not no, seeing how great think, he is because they just didn't shoot a lot of threes. Back I then. think his son is by far the greatest shooter ever. Yeah. Be interesting to ask. What's that. interesting is people know he's the greatest shooter ever, but I actually think he's by far the greatest shooter ever. You don't think anyone's in the conversation? I yeah. I, don't, I actually don't even think it's a conversation. I think it's like the Bob Beeman long jump compared to like all the other long jumps for 20 years. Like yeah. that's the kind of distance. Yeah. He's... I actually think he's a legitimate genetic freak with how he with his hand eye, the shots he can make, um, when he can throw them up. Like I actually think he might be a genius with how to shoot, the angles that he sees and and how fast he can release shots. You can't compare it to anybody. Yeah, like Atlanta's like Trey Young. He's going to be our Steph Curry. Trey Young, he's been good. I've been impressed. He's not going to be Steph Curry. Yeah, like it's it's not even close. Steph Curry, they they do that drill before the games or not drill, but like in the pregame warmups, he does that thing where he, he does this crazy hop step and then he throws the ball up like 50 feet in the air and it swishes as a layup. Like he, he's honestly like David Copperfield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like David Blaine crossed with Reggie Miller. Yeah. That's another word, by the way, Reggie Miller and Cheryl Miller. Yes. That's a fun sibling combo. And I was thinking of the joiners. Joyner. Uh, Jackie Joyner, Kirstie, and Al Joyner. Al Joyner was- uh, Were they related? How were they related, yeah. though? Flo, oh, wait, are they, Flo are they husband and, and wife or they brother and sister? I think Flojo, they married into each other, right? Oh, this is a really good question. I thought Al Joyner was the brother. Al Joyner, one of them married Al Joyner, I thought. Yeah, Jackie Joyner and Al Joyner are brother and sister. Al Joyner was one of the greatest triple jumpers in the world. And she was, she's in the conversations of being one of the greatest female athletes. I would love to see a list of the greatest female <laughs> athletes ever because I was saying to you, I think Tarasi's on there. Um, Cheryl Miller. I I ride hard for Abby Wambach. Yeah. Which is the most controversial opinion on the greatest female athletes ever because the way Just, she played was so unusual for a female soccer player where she was like, Six foot, all in the air, all headers and physical. And like she scored most of her goals on headers. And we're just never going to see that again. I don't think there's going to be a next Abby Wambach. She's like a one on one. So I, I, for me, she's in there. But it's a good, it's a good list. It's a good list. There's going to be some MMA, there's going to be some female MMA fighter who is going to be like outrageously ridiculous in the next 10 years. Like a Ronda Rousey kind of like a like a better, awesome, yeah. badass Ronda Rousey who will win a couple things and then immediately you, go do movies. I I refuse to jump on the M and A bandwagon. If we have increasing problems with football because of the health effects, why are we so excited about basically something that takes all the worst parts of boxing and football and combines them in one sport? 
It's just like you're watching people bludgeon each other and create lasting brain damage. It's a, it's a fair point <laughs> that I think uh, people have glossed over. It is funny. We worry about the concussion crisis in football. And then people are like, ESPN's got an unboxing with a brand new yeah. rights deal. And boxing and MMA, people are trying to get their rights left and right. There's a, did I, I saw- The goal is to knock the other person out. The most, I saw the most chilling, the most chilling- Football concussion thing I saw was a paper. I forgot in by whom and in what medical journal, but I read it like a couple months ago, in which <clears throat> one of the ways in which you uh, measure uh, the onset of dementia is in a decline in what they call lexical complexity. So the word choice, uh, the variety and number of words that you use in normal conversation, and you can map it quite precisely. And what happens when you map less complex complexity in adults is that it increases over time until you're quite old and then it goes into, so your speech is much more complicated now than it was when you were 20 years old, for example. Oh, I don't know. But yeah, maybe you're the I right example. I feel like my speech is worse. In, in, in general. So what this guy realizes is that in football, we have this incredible, and you need, in order to, I should say, in order to judge lexical complexity, you need to have a database, a quite a large database of your speech. So you need, a number of hours of you speaking in order to get a good sample. So it's like, how, where can I get a number of hours of someone speaking over many years and use in a place where early dementia might be an issue? And he thinks, oh, press conferences in football. Yeah. Because you have going back for 20 years, in the case of some players, you have literally every week an hour of them talking. Right. So he collects all of that data and he compares football players with their coaches who never played, and he charts their lexical complexity. And he shows that football players particularly, and he used as an example, a quarterback who's been in the league 15 or more years. I don't know who it was. I don't want to speculate, but I had some ideas about who it was. And he shows that, that these players whose lexical complexity should be increasing is decreasing dramatically relative to uh, controls to their coaches and to and it was like terrifying because you're realizing these are players who have no other symptoms, who are still playing at a high level, who we think of as being normal. And we're already seeing in their 30s uh, the effects of playing in the league for that long. It's like, well, wasn't the fir our first real exposure to this was Ali in the 70s? Yeah. When, who was like one of the most eloquent athletes we ever had. And by the time he's fighting Spinks, it was, he's a different guy. I remember yeah. one of the documentaries they put you know, how he talked in the early 70s versus the late 70s, and it's like a different guy. Yeah. Now, it's like, I don't know why that study was was the most disturbing for me, but it, it kind of, maybe it was because the idea that this kind of thing would manifest itself really early and that it would affect the way you speak seemed to me incredibly heartbreaking. That So the people around him on some level are must be aware that this person who was so bright and intelligent and articulate at the age of 20, now at 33 and still playing in the league, is speaking in a, not in a more sophisticated way, but it's like regressing weirdly. Do you feel like podcasts have replaced talk shows? Uh, who, yeah. Well, well, like I if you're gonna interview somebody, would you rather interview them for seven minutes or for like an hour and a half? An hour and a half. I don't think there's any there's any question. I think the the rate. I don't understand why radio. I mean, radio seems to me 
with the exception of like local news, which is clearly has a reason to uh, function, I don't understand how it survives in the current climate up against um, uh, a medium which has so many other advantages. I'm so fat. I know you are too. You with the whole movement of where audio and where everything's going. You have a new podcast. I do. Yes, with Rick Bro- Rubin coming. Yeah, with called, called Broken Record. It uh, comes out this week. It's our music podcast, and uh, it's basically me and Rick and my friend Bruce talking to musicians and having them play for us. And but I don't. There's no it, that show we're doing is broken record. It's not, has no analog in radio. Like it doesn't exist. You it wouldn't even occur to people to do this in, um, and this, it's like the, this new medium is so kind of, um, has so many, uh, possibilities, uh, that I don't see how radio competes. Why would you listen to top 40 radio when you could listen to the same artist playing for you and talking and, you know, and talking and engaged in conversation about what they're doing? I don't know. I, I think radio still has the immediacy. So, especially with sports radio, like this trade happened, this game just happened, this coach just got fired. But, but when I what do you to think? It, it's more than 50% ads. True. After about 10 minutes, you want to shoot yourself. Like you, it is all like, it's just, I, I find it complete. I don't understand how people on a day-to-day basis listen to this thing when, the, when there is, when there, you have to, you're waiting like 10 minutes to get three minutes of you know, whoever's holding force. I'm always amazed, like just with traditional radio, how little it's changed over the last 25 years. I swear to God, this is true in in Boston. When I lived in Boston in the late 90s, the the big all-sports station, WEI, which we always had a love-hate, mostly hate relationship with, but they had these three shows, the morning and the midday and then the afternoon. And over the course of whatever, things changed, but, but... now they have the the same three people in the different slots are the people from when I lived there in 1998. Yeah. The morning guy, the midday guy, and then the afternoon guy. It's all the same people 20 years later doing basically variations of the same show, which is kind of nuts when you think about it. Yeah. It's, it's the medium that seems to change the least. Like Mike Francesa's show right now isn't much different than the show he did with the dog. It's still... You know, coming up, we're going to talk to this guy, and they they talk to some coach or some player. But uh, the experimentation, I think, has really hurt radio more than well, anything. Here's the other big difference. And I thought of this because, <clears throat> for example, you guys have been doing that thing with the, the podcast with David Chang, right? Yeah, Chang is someone. And the same thing with me doing Broken Record with Rick Rubin. David Chang and Rick Rubin are two people who would never have been on the radio under any circumstance unless. Once in a blue moon, they were interviewed for something for five minutes. They would, and it wouldn't even have occurred to them to be on any, to do any kind of media in that way. And now the whole point about the podcast is it's drawing in all these people whose voices you never heard. So the old, it's not just that the format is stale in old radio, it's that the the people involved are also stale. There's a certain kind of radio person who you heard. Now it's like, you know, A-Rod's got a, got a podcast and David Chang, you know, you can hear from a chef who in a million years would, you know, and on and on and on. That's what's But a lot of people have been given podcasts that shouldn't have gotten a podcast. Like within, from a celebrity standpoint, I think one of the reasons like Chang's a really good example, right? He is a great hang. Yeah. And usually that translates like if you and I were going out to dinner and we brought Chang, we would have a good time. We would talk the whole time. That usually translates to a successful, successful podcast, in my opinion. 
But when we started working with Chang, and he'll talk about this, like it, it was it was high comedy, like him trying to do the intros, and the, he would just get in his own head and try to be a radio guy. Mm-hmm. And we would do, we must have done the first time. We must have done eight takes of the first two minutes of the thing, and yeah. and he's like he was gonna write it down. I'm like, what are you doing? Just be you. And he was so in his own head about it. And then by like the fifth episode, yeah, he's got it. And I was listening to one of them. I was like, I called him. I was like, you figured it out. He's like, yeah, I figured it out. Yeah. And but he's a great example. Like he's. He's into food, but he knows all these celebrities, but he's really passionate about these different topics. Well, and I, I don't know. I just feel like I, I, it's so much more interesting than traditional radio now. What, what I noticed with Rick is that because he's this guy who knows all the musicians and has worked with them for years and is a sort of legend in the industry, <clears throat> we when they come, well, I did a, a show with him. It hasn't aired yet, but we with, with Ezra Koenig of um, Vampire Weekend. Yeah. And so he comes... Ezra comes up to Rick's studio and he knows him and he trusts him. And so the the conversation that ensues is a totally different kind of conversation that you would normally have between a journalist and a artist where you have spent all this time establishing ground rules and whatever. Kenny just completely relaxes and starts playing and starts talking about in an incredible sort of personal way. And Rick's questions are different because, you know, he's worked with him and he's a musician as well. You know, this is it's just a, it's a it's a completely different kind of interview that you would that we're used to because we're used to the context of the interview being so um, uh, being journalistic, and it's not the interviews we do with Rick. They're not journalist interviews; they're insider interviews. Yeah, and I find that so much more interesting. It's like know? flying the you, the the yeah. mics are flying the wall for the, a yeah. conversation that would happen anyway. And, Ezra, in this interview, he starts, he picked one, it was some song he'd been puzzling over on the latest Vampire Weekend album. And he he just, he picks it and he starts, he's explaining why it was so hard. And he would never, I tell you, if I was interviewing him, never have done that. He did it because he worked, I think because he worked on, or was going to work on the song with Rick or talk to Rick about it. And they were like, it just became as if I sort of melted away. And the two of them were puzzling through, now why was that hard? And what were you doing? And like he picks up his guitar and he starts like playing you the different versions. It's just, it's just insane. It was like I was just like a fly on the wall. And that's what you always, it's what you always want as a listener is you want to be in the fly, a fly on the wall, right? That's what you want, right? Like when you talk when you come up with some new racial NBA draft, like you would <laughs> you'd have done that at dinner and it wouldn't have been any different. We just happen to record By it. Way, can I just say that your lack of enthusiasm for this idea? What, I, how do you say I had a lack of enthusiasm? Lack. You're I was completely you were, engaged. You were like, whatever. You, no, you, I'm just I, I'm I, just I, a white guy. And I had you, it's 2018. I'm just scared are, at all times you now. Are, you are kind of, you're like a little bit, you've been, the millennials have spooked you. I don't know why. Like, come on, Bill. You've got, listen, I I asked you whether you wanted, whether you could at least volunteer some names for the all-time white team. You're a white guy. They're your people. I don't, I don't see you. You didn't come up with anything. Uh, well, me, the names are like it's. Well, first of all, let, if it's the all-time white team, it's just going to be Boston Celtics, basically. No, it's tough because you can't use the foreigners and the Europeans and all those people. It's got to be like the American white guys. Yeah. So do it. Do it's it. not a great team. It's not a good team. Well, you have to go back into the fifties and sixties. You really have to go. What you have to go sad, backwards with the coups and people like that. What a sad commentary on American whiteness that we got to go back to nineteen fifty-five and Bob Cousy for our starting point guard. You're like, we might have I gotta, to. let's have a point guard who was born in the 20s. 
<laughs> well, you one of your big things was the you wanted a biracial team because then that had like Jason Kidd yeah. and As that a, opened up a whole bunch of things too. An argument could be made for having the all biracial team. And then that gets super complicated because some people have conflicting. Right. And we have to decide. We've never really figured that, you that one figure out. That, that, that's getting super tricky. And I would have to convene. I have to convene like the National Council, National Biracial Council, which I'll nominate myself <laughs> for um, to do some rulings. You're on. at least on the board of directors. <laughs> one, one incendiary uh, suggestion was that um, we give the white team a chance. Remember in the. Remember in the racial draft in Dave Chappelle? Yeah. Where the white team drafts uh, Tiger Woods. Do you remember that? Yeah. So one suggestion was that, that we allow the white team to do a version of that. Uh, and so that Carl Malone could be on the white team. Because he lives in Carl Utah. Malone. He lives in Utah. He's an honorary white guy. <laughs> he, he, he hunts and he fishes. He's a member of the NRA. He probably voted for Trump. I mean, at a certain point, you just have to throw up your hands and say, he let's give him to the white team. They could use him. He wouldn't be if you played on if you played on Utah for that many years. How it's it's fine, you know. He's do not you, he's not going to object. Do you find you're watching as much sports as you used to watch? Bill says, changing the subject. I, uh, I had that question for you. <laughs> do I watch less or more sports? I watch a lot less NFL football. I watch weirdly more college football. Okay. And I watch the same amount, if not slightly more, NBA. Uh, I watch more NBA than ever, which I didn't think was possible. Yeah, I don't know how you do. But how do you? I watch football every Sunday. Yeah. Unless I have to drive my kids around. Yeah. And then then I have to, there's some, the great way, it's really easy to cheat now with like uh, the, the iPhone phone. and yeah. yeah, being able to. Can you answer a question for me? So I I will say in a moment of uh, fanboydom, fanboydom, that I listen to all your podcasts. And invariably, you. you're doing a podcast and there's a moment where something comes up, obscure movie or television show comes up. And it turns out you've watched all of them. Yeah. So I, and I sort of do the math in my head and I'm like, all right, he has a full-time job. Yeah. He's got two children and a wife. He's got responsibilities. He drives his daughter to soccer games in Ventura County. And yet you simultaneously have time to watch some of the worst TV and old movies of anyone. Yeah. I, how is, do you sleep? I sleep like five, six hours a night. Yeah, I usually get my my movies done at like uh, late night, like eleven to two, half asleep, and I just have a weird memory for certain things, but then a terrible memory for other things. Yeah, because like my my uh, my buddy from college, Jacko, he'll he'll always say like, "Remember that time we went?" And I'm like, "I can't totally remember that," but then I can remember some stupid Celtic game that happened. I don't, I didn't ask for these weird powers or lack of <laughs> whatever, whatever, or illness, whatever it is. Oh, so I wish I could remember more things that happened in my life and less about sports. Yeah. But I yeah. think some people's brains just work certain you ways. You have an enormous appetite for watching things on TV. Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, partly it's my job. I, yeah. I never wanted, especially with the pod, like Sal and I can't do that football pod if we didn't watch the games. Yeah. You know, and if we weren't paying attention to what's going on and things like that. And I think, especially like, and you've found this out too, when your profile raises, if you're trying to cut corners, people are going to massacre right. you. Yeah. So you can't do it that way. And that, that was, I used to hate 20, 25 years ago when the people who were in like positions of quote unquote high platforms or whatever you want to say, like, and you could tell they were cutting corners. Big rally. <laughs> <laughs> where, is, where is Rick Riley? 
He's he did a great a great career. <laughs> Cashed out. He's doing fine. He's doing yeah. fine. It's tough though. It's it's uh I think you know that especially one of the things that's tough when you get older as a as a sports writer, I think, and you're not around and you have to go into locker rooms and interview people. Yeah. You're almost at a disadvantage after a certain age thing. That's something I've always watched out for, even with this podcast, because we've had a lot of NBA players. But I've always been able to get along with them. But at some point, I'm just going to be really old to those guys. Maybe, maybe that point is even well, right you, now. I was, you know, I was listening to you the other day talking about how LeBron has such difficulty relating to all those young Lakers. It's like LeBron's 34. <laughs> it was like, right. Wait, you know, how old are you? We're, but, we're, we're no, both but, of us are a lot older. Yeah. I think in the NBA, though, that is a real thing. I remember talking to Nash about that as like he was on the Suns, like 2010 range. Mm-hmm. In the locker room, he was so much older than the guys in the locker room. And even though he wasn't that much older age-wise, he was still, it, he was like a dad almost. Yeah. Teaching them like what to eat. And, you know, I, I do think, what do you think the generational, what, do you, what is it, like about seven, eight years for generations? Because yeah, I've thought about it, like with people that work for The Ringer, I've noticed that I think the big difference is like right around age 28, 29 right now. Because mm-hmm. anyone under 28, cannot remember a single minute when there wasn't the internet. Yes. Yes. That so was a, a key you're, divider. Kyle, how old are you? 24. About to be 25. Do you remember any moment of your life without the internet? No, dial-up is the hardest I ever had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you do remember dial-up. Oh, yeah. Have you ever worked at a rotary phone? Yes. I had grandparents. Yeah. Tommy, how old are you? You don't want to say how old you are? <laughs> what, who, what are you, like a model? <laughs> My God. <laughs> Tommy, the man of mystery. Tommy's a man of mystery. The biggest enigma at the ringer, Tommy Alter. <laughs> he is stealthy. I you gotta, you know, I gotta respect it. But then and then there's another part. There's the generation that's probably like that works in media mm-hmm. that I'm gonna say is somewhere between like 32 and 35. That's yeah. old enough to remember from like 06, 07, 08, when, th- when things crashed in media and everybody knew somebody who got laid off or mm-hmm. it was real insecurity and whatever. Those people have a different reservoir of how to regard media than I think people 25 and under. Because if you came out of college in the last three, four years, you've only seen, for the most part, Good a times. pretty positive yeah. head up. I mean, some sites have gone under, some things have gone not so well, mm-hmm. but for the most part, this is a really nice time to be in the content. Yeah, business. There's a lot of ways to go. I had this. I had a little glimpse of this, and I still remember this. I once I did a podcast episode on this. I gave a speech at Pan a couple of years ago about um, their football program and how they had a kid who committed suicide, and it turns out he had CTE. Ugh. And I <clears throat> told this long story, and then I talked about this, and I said, you know, that they had a responsibility to boycott football at their school. They should. You know, you, this kid died because of football. Football's not central to the culture of Penn. They should stop going to games and they should protest and everything. And then we had Q&A and all the kids, big group of kids, like a couple hundred of them, maybe more. And they, no one was particularly interested in boycotting the games, um, which fine. And I was like, well, why not? Was it because they were big on football fans? No, they didn't care about football. It was because, and this is what blew me away. It was because they didn't want to attack the school so they really like Penn. They were deeply invested in the Penn brand name. They paid big money to go to Penn. They were super proud they got into Penn. They weren't going to protest and be perceived as attacking Penn. 
in my day when I was in college, all we wanted to do was attack the school. Like the school was our enemy. Like that was, we were completely 100% antagonistic to the school. And the whole fun of being a college student was just, you know, needling people in positions of power at the school. These kids had no interest whatsoever in doing that. I was like, that is so weird. Like- That's bizarre. I would have protested in a, I, when I was in college, I protested things I wasn't even angry about just because it was really fun to, I remember in high school, I remember I organized a boycott with my friend Terry of the school. And I, we just made up a reason. We didn't have a reason. We just <laughs> thought it would be really fun to boycott school. It's like, just because that's who, what we were, our job was, right? As 17 year olds. But these kids were like super serious. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the Penn community. Why would I do that? It was so but weird. that's not when I was in college, we were getting rid of scholarships. Yeah. And they were moving Wait, to the picture. You had scholarships league. at Holy Cross. I mean, one of the reasons I went to Holy Cross was we had really good sports. Like we had Gordy Lockbaum two years before I got there, who almost won the Heisman Trophy, you know, and we were competitive and we were Div One basketball. Yeah. And then they moved to the Patriot League and they were, the whole plan was basically to get rid of scholarships. And we had the two people that were in the school was Father Brooks and Father, uh-huh. Father Markey. And I was like ripping them in columns for the newspaper. And I called them Father Crooks and Father Malarkey. <laughs> and they, one of them called me up and I had to meet with them. And I was like, I'm, but, it, but that was the thing. But going back yeah. to your point, it's, that's just what you did. That's what you did. Everyone was, the administration was the enemy. Yeah, that's right. It's weird that that's changed. Yeah, it's really, I was blown away by that. I was like, I, I was like, I, the end I was like, I don't understand. I don't really understand you guys at all. That's at this point, you know. And it's, you know, my, and maybe they're right and I'm wrong, by the way, but my reflex, I still have my reflexive attitude that someone in a position of power has something wrong with them and needs to be opposed. (laughs) (laughs) But but apparently it's different now. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of uh, 70s conspiracy movies lately. I've had a run because we watched All the President's Men. I just watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers (laughs) and Capricorn One. And it was like this whole era of just, everyone distrusting power yeah and entire movies built around the premise of things aren't what what they seem yeah yeah don't trust whoever and i wonder if that's going to come back now when i i'm hoping that all the stuff that's happened in the last two years politically which we don't need to go into is going to drift into art in the right ways Mm because it it just hasn't happened yet and i want it to happen i want new conspiracy movies you know, like we, we have to get out our anxiety about all this stuff in some way. It might as well be art. It certainly has. Music's been disappointing so far in this respect. Yeah. The, what's interesting is the decline in the notion of, I mean, we're, what we're really talking about here is the idea of iconoclasm as an end in itself. In other words, that you, regardless of your reasons for doing, for being an iconoclast, you just have a duty if you're 17 to be as weird and individual as you can. That was taken, you know, in the sort of 60s, 70s, that's sort of taken for granted. Yeah. And and kind of like, so like in 1975, if Google and Apple and Facebook and Amazon existed, we would be very angry with them just because they were this big. I mean, you could argue we should be way more angry now with Facebook. Oh. Like really, really like people just deleting it from their phones and all that stuff. All all that stuff should have happened. I got, I recently, I was thinking about how pathetic even my own iconoclasm has declined dramatically. I realized, I got very upset by the notion that I realized, oh, I have, 
an iPhone and I have an Apple computer and I'm completely owned and operated by the Apple universe. Yeah. So I got rid of my Apple Mac MacBook and I replaced it with a Google uh, laptop. And it was, that is like how pathetic my iconoclasm is. I that was your way of rebelling? <laughs> that's right. I have traded in one monopolist for another and I've considered myself somehow better off. Unbelievable. Yeah. I remember 20 years ago when people were saying someday, and it's not going to be that far away, you'll be able to buy everything on your computer. Remember? Yeah. You put your credit card in there. And then some people would do it. It'd be like, I'm not doing that. No way, man. They'll steal my information. <laughs> They'll take everything. And that was the attitude for a couple of years. And then gradually people started to do a little. And now the attitude seems to be, ah, we're all fucked. They have everything. They know every place yeah. I've been on the internet in the last 20 years. And anyone can hack my identity at any time. And we're, this is, can you, the, we're all screwed. While we're on the hacking, I brought this up before, but no one has ever given me a satisfactory answer for this. And I, here I am going to uh, delicately touch on uh, the politics of the last two years. Yes. So regardless of your, whether of your- Hold on, like, let's, let's take this to one quick break. One more break to talk about my friends at Hotel Tonight. Here's a little insider travel secret from my friends at Hotel Tonight. I just told you I was friends with them. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. Hotel Tonight is partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell those unsold rooms, which means you get incredible deals. Forget scrolling through those never-ending lists. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list. Have incredible deals at cool hotels they think you love, and they'll even give you short profiles of each hotel, complete with all the info you need, pictures of what the rooms really look like. It's not just for last-minute bookings, book in advance. Spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, place with a pool, whatever you want. As you know, I've been telling you about this for two years. I use this for youth sports trips with my daughter. There might be another one in mid-December, actually. Guess where I'm going? Hotel Tonight. Start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. Go to hoteltonight.com or download the app right now. All right, we're back. Regardless of your political affiliation, you will concede that one of the great mysteries of contemporary American politics is what is in President Trump's tax returns, right? Now, why, this is, when you think about it, a massive puzzle. Everything else in American life leaks. So some of the most prized crown jewels of the American intelligence community held by the, closely held by the NSA, you know, acquired at cost of many billions of dollars. They're all like in the hands of Russian hackers. Russians hacked their, the Koreans hacked their way into Sony. The Russians hacked their way into the, everything's been hacked except for the IRS. Somehow no one has hacked into the IRS and given us Trump's tax returns. How is this possible? Everything, Bill, everything else has been hacked. But what if he didn't even put in tax returns? Well, that's another, but like, so there are several possibilities here. One, they don't exist, which I don't believe. Two, the IRS loan among all institutions in the world right now has conquered the computer security problem. Somehow there's a set- I don't of, believe that. There's a set of geniuses at the IRS who like, are laughing in their sleeve and saying, everyone else out there has no idea what they're doing, but only us, you know, yeah. out in wherever they are. Where's the IRS? Somewhere in suburban Maryland. We've like cracked the case. Or I don't know, what, what's the other explanation? Do you have another explanation? How come they can't get them? Maybe it's not on computers. 
I mean, that doesn't, that just makes it easier. Okay, so it's in a file. So some guy at the IRS, some clerk can't go open the- True, and just take them and photo- Photocopy. Yeah, that's the right. old, You have your phone. I don't have, a, I don't have another explanation. Isn't it, 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 I just find this absolutely baffling. It makes no sense. And you would be, I mean, you could sell them for a million dollars. I mean, it's like, it's their gold. The most baffling thing I heard recently was nephew Kyle's uh, roommate uh-huh. who meets girls all the time. Um, don't get nervous, Kyle. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, it's not about me, so that's cool. So now the new thing is they exchange Instagram handles. Yeah. That's how you get a girl's number now or yeah. a lady's number, whatever, yeah. however, whatever age range we're talking about. They'll meet somebody in LA uh-huh. and instead of saying, here's my number, and then you don't have to worry... You have to worry about some dude calling you over and over again, and you're eventually having to block them. You give them your Instagram handle, uh-huh. and then they follow you, and you DM. And then if you decide you don't like how the DMs are going, block you block them. But you've gotten a follower out of it. And I thought, <laughs> I thought if anything explains 2018, it's that uh, fear of fear of being um, harassed by somebody combined with, well, at least I get a follower get out a of follower. it. Even, even, even 2018, everybody, <laughs> no wonder we're so fucked up. Oh my God. Unbelievable. But yeah. So now it's like, Hey man, can I have your Instagram? Do you, by the way, do you Instagram Bill? I do. I, I am. I have one of the top 10 follower numbers of any white guy over the age of 48. Really? I'm in the top 10. You should actually keep, like a, a running list of that. I do. I've actually thought of other old people on Instagram. I am convinced I'm like in the top 12. It's like me and Will Smith. Well, people oh over 45. <laughs> you, um, I wonder whether it's they like me and Will provide- Smith. Who else is on Instagram who's over 45? White guy or- no, any, white- any older guy. Any no, older. not just white guy. Mm. Probably the top 10. There's not a lot. I mean, there can't be that many old people over the age of 45 on Instagram. No no, like Jack Nicholson's not on Instagram. No, no. Matt Damon's not on there. Oh, you know who? How old's Nas? Nas has a good Instagram. Not over. Yeah, so the senior senior social media tour. I'm doing really well. I got my long putter. <laughs> so that's very, very impressive. I'm really excited about it. I know. I really know how to resonate with those kids. I can't bring my, I, I can't even, Twitter is as far as I'll go. And I think Twitter, by the way, I'm convinced it's useless. I really think it's useless. Like, I don't think anyone ever was convinced to do anything on Twitter. It's only useful for like a chuckle or a snarl that goes away within seconds. That's its entire. Twitter, the crazy thing about Twitter is there's like a hundred times more downside than upside all yeah. the time. Yeah. I like Instagram the most. I, if I had to power rank my social media, Instagram is like just pictures. And there's really no way to get I'm not being preached. I'm not I'm not uh I'm not really able to be a complete asshole and if I am it's not like whatever. Like it has all these checks and balances to it and it's yeah. just like is this picture look cool? Did you like this picture? She, you know it's a really great test case of this. If the president only Instagrammed and didn't tweet, just think how much healthier American politics would be right now. He would be forced to just have poses of him and like Melania, you know, we're doing, or him eating hamburgers and drinking Diet Cokes. <laughs> like just like really banal stuff. And the whole, the whole temp, the whole temperature would be lowered of the of American politics. I wish, I really wish it wasn't a 
my party versus the other party type thing. And we couldn't just all agree that like just fundamentally, he's just bad at leading. Oh, they like, say he's bad at social media. <laughs> well, he's he's bad at that too. But like, you know, California, we have the worst fires. Like, it was certainly the biggest natural disaster we've had since I've been here. Yeah. And truly scary. And at one point, it really seemed like Malibu was going to like burn down. And Calabasas so, yeah. and that whole area. And some pieces of it did. And you had not nearly enough firefighters. And people can't evacuate. And there's no hotel rooms. And... We have no idea if the winds are going to shift and it's just going to basically take out all of Southern California. And by the way, it can't still be ruled out on Monday here. But he comes in and his his tweet is about um, about, about how they, they have to get their acts together with the forests and the federal, and the, whatever the hell he said, with the federal government and- Or no money. and Or, or your money's going to get cut off. And it's like, how- yeah. How is that a, a how is that a leadership moment for you? That's your leadership? Yeah. It's just I've never seen anything like it. Somebody who consistently makes the wrong decisions over and over again and just how to make like a large group of people feel good. Yeah. He's just terrible at it. Not a, yeah, not terribly. Uh I was um I I, I honestly it's incredible. I think we're gonna look back at this much later in life and we're gonna be like, wow, that was incredible. How did this happen? I think what's going to happen is, you know, people always talk about how the <clears throat> there'll be long-term consequences uh, to this four years of Trump. I think the opposite. What will happen 20 years from now is people will just pretend that uh, that this particular era, 2016 to 2020, they'll just be like a gap. You'll read the history book and like there'll be a gap. They'll just jump from 2016 straight to 2020. They'll just pretend that this was like, It'll just be, he'll just be erased from the- So you'll be like those those NBA stretches where you're like, ah, oh, the late 90s. Yeah, it's After like, MJ retired, that sucked. Let's just skip forward let's to- Let's fast forward to- Let's when fast Le- forward to when LeBron started to take off. It happens. You know, there are, there are periods of where people just, like who remembers, you know, it's a good example of this. Everyone remembers Vietnam. Everyone remembers World War II. Nobody remembers, Korea doesn't get talked about, right? No. We just skipped over Korea. We just rather not talk about it. So there are there are an- historical analogs for this kind of selective amnesia. I think, I think we've had a lot of terrible presidents. We've had a lot of terrible things happen. Democrats and Republicans. He he happens to be the most terrible leader we've had. Yeah, he's a, he has no interest in even appealing to anybody that is in his base. But I, I think it's easy to forget how many bad presidents we've had and how many bad things have happened. Like LBJ. Not a great guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Mixed. I mean, we we've had he did some good things and did some did some terrible things, but he did some terrible things. Nixon, not a great guy. Yeah. I'm not sure Bill Clinton, you, you know, know, some you know, of the stuff he did during his presidency is like I don't know. It it just seems like that office once people have that much power, I think it makes people crazy a little bit. We, would be um, one of my working <clears throat> themes. I will say, if I might, if I might toot my Canadian horn for a moment. Yeah. The if you want to talk, you want to talk about sort of leadership qualities. Canada, mm. in the last fifty years, has had the n- number one coolest leader of any, I think, almost of any country in the world. Pierre Trudeau, late sixties, early seventies, was a world class intellectual, an extraordinary athlete. He drove a Mercedes Gullwing. He dated everyone, Barbara Streisand, and then married this unbelievably gorgeous woman. 
He was hilarious. He was like an amazing dancer. He dressed fantastically. He was like, you couldn't even dream. He made Kennedy look like a wallflower, JFK. He was like, the, I don't know if you know this about, this is Justin Trudeau, the current prime minister's yeah. father. Oh yeah. It's like the, an epically cool guy. I have in my house, up on the wall, just a huge photo of Pierre Trudeau. I, I worship the man. Well, you think about the, all right, so the NBA is a parallel to the presidency, right? Mm -hmm. The commissioner is basically the president of the NBA's universe. Mm -hmm. And most of the commissioners of the NBA were horrible leading yeah. up to Stern. And Stern did a really good job for about 22 of the 30 years. And the last five or six, he was horrible. He was terrible. I was killing him left and right in my column. He did so many things and he was so arrogant and, uh, and such a hypocrite with like stuff like the saving basketball in New Orleans, but just completely effing over everyone in Seattle. And he was just all over the map. And then Adam Silver came in mm -hmm. and then it was like, oh yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. This is cool. Whoa. Yeah. And, that, and then things make sense again. And uh, I just think it's really hard to be in charge of giant company. I even saw that uh, at ESPN with Skipper, like that job was so big, it swallowed him up. And he talks about it pretty openly now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's not necessarily a slam dunk that whoever replaces Trump, whenever that is, is going to be like, oh, thank God, breath of fresh air. It's going to, this is going to be awesome. It might just be somebody else who's terrible. Yeah. Well, the bar- From either be, party. The bar will be lowered. So <laughs> True. it's going to be, a, it'll be- <laughs> It'll be easier to look good. It's like always. True. It's, you'll want to, if you ever want, if there's ever someone you want to follow, it would be Trump. Trump, they, there's, the one thing is the handshakes I've enjoyed. The yeah. the handshake kind of. You saw the famous Justin Trudeau. Oh yeah. Did you see John this Donald stuff Trump. this week when he was in Europe? No, I didn't And see him, it. like. Did, were they circling? Getting back. It was somebody he'd had a handshake with before that was a really ferocious one. And it was like the rematch, the handshake rematch. I was like, all right, this is pretty good Trump content. This well, doesn't make up for the other stuff. I was going to talk about this with Tommy. If Beto O'Rourke, hypothetically, would have won the Democratic nomination, then at the debate, it would happening. be Beto and Trump. And Beto is like big guy. Yeah. Right? How, how tall is he? 6'4. Six, four. So he's taller he's six, than four? Oh, that's good. So the handshake is going to be epic. It's going to be like in four parts. There's going to be, it could, could go on for minutes. See, he's I think if he's actually going to run, because I do think one of the biggest things with Trump is how physically imposing he is. Yeah. And he uses it to his advantage, most famously in the debate with Hillary when he stalked her around the stage like a yeah. psychopath. But um, if Beto's going to really run for it and get the nomination, he's got to go like, train with the rock he does He's like he, add, he needs to actually be physically more yeah. imposed like they can win a fight and then trump's like this six foot four guy in his mid-70s yeah who's you know high blood pressure and here's here's beto who's like beto's who's gotta, like uh beto's gotta spend some time in miami if you know what i'm saying oh yeah <laughs> he needs to get involved on one of those <laughs> yeah one of those uh what are they what was the thing a rod was in the biogenesis <laughs> clinic scandals that's right Better, better oh, no. What's the machine they all claim is responsible for their fitness? The one in the gym, the climbing ladder? Yeah, yeah, Better's yeah. got to get himself a quote. Oh, yeah. What's ladder. that thing called? It's, it's Jacob's Ladder. It's called Jacob's Ladder. Isn't it called Jacob's Ladder? No, it's like, uh, I know what you're talking about. I though. tried one at the gym the other day and the I was like, oh. Ursaflex or something? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he needs to be like 6'4", 245. Yeah, I think and so. And just ripped. Yeah. He needs and wearing like, wearing those shirts where he's wearing the man's medium shirt, even though he's 6'4". Mm -hmm. 
where his, his sleeves are just coming out of it. That's think, the move with Trump. You need to beat him physically. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, a lot of this is about pecs and abs. I think you have to. Your chest has got to be like bursting at the seams to get the proper kind of like manliness. Particularly because Trump in three years, remember, he's going to be in two years from now. He's going to be in even worse shape. Probably put on some more weight. He's just lying around like eating junk food and watching Fox. I mean, this is not. It's not like he's hitting the gym. So you can really put some distance between yourself and him. Yeah, I always wonder about that, him from a health standpoint. It's not good. It can't be good. Unless he's not a human being, which <laughs> can't be ruled out. He might, he might be. So... Yeah, Is that true? Of, there's a lot of burgers. Plays yeah. golf. Cheeseburgers and Diet Coke. Wow. Meanwhile, Beto, Beto's like in Austin, like having like a, you know, a poke bowl and like lots of kale. He's not, he's, there's not, he's not eating cheeseburgers. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> Beto, but that c- could actually cause the civil war if it's Beto versus Trump. That, that, that be, could be it. Is Beto, wait, have we had, who's the, who is the, there was a great thing that this running magazine that I love did where they, uh, they, they said if there was a 5K involving all presidents in history, who would win the 5K? And. It's JFK's last. J- he yeah. could barely move. He could barely move. And I think, I think the argument was that uh, Lincoln would be a surprisingly good. The obvious answer is Obama, because he's half. Obama, Kenyan. he's half Kenyan. Well, and also stayed in good shape. He stayed in good shape, and he looks like a runner. Bill Clinton would probably pass out halfway through the. But thing. the the stealth choice. So there's two recent American presidents who are probably, W. W was a very good runner, and yeah. Jimmy Carter wasn't bad. He at least trained, and he was like a. He was like a. a Remember, he's like a, uh, he's a Navy guy. Like he was not, he was in shape. He ran road races. Remember he famously collapsed in a, in a road race once when he was president. But um, W would be, a, is the kind of dark horse. Um, we think he could probably run a 21 or 22 minute 5K, which for a president is pretty good. Um, but I, I, if Obama- Well, didn't Reagan play football? Do I get young Reagan or do I get older you know, Reagan? I think you get, it's the same rules you get, as, same rules as my- um, I get apex athletic <laughs> Reagan. So he would have been good. Uh, do I get yes. you F- get him? You get him into prime. You get do him I get prime. FDR when he was healthier? Yeah, I think you get him everyone into prime. Because I, I think, think he might have been a good athlete too. George Washington, I think, might be a surprising. He's a battle hardened. Well, Teddy was a great athlete. Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, he's not. Remember he's that? Built like a runner though. This is five k. He's not. Oh, that's Teddy's true. Yeah, yeah. Barrel chest. He might knock some people over though. You got to look for the skinnier guys. You know who wins? Who? Nixon figures out a way to cheat. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hi, he's like, he Rosie Ruizes it. It's like at the last second. Wait, Nixon's winning? Where was he? We had cameras the whole time. He's just limping along. Uh, anything else you got to plug? Uh, just my podcast, Broken Record. Subscribe now. What happened to Revisionist History? It's coming uh, second season, or pardon me, fourth season is coming in uh, in the spring. I'm working, starting on it, working on that now. You not, you not interviewing me for any episode of that is one of the great insults of my life. Come on, give me time. You did one for me where we did like some sort of something. You interviewed me at my house and then you like scrapped that episode. My feelings were hurt. I'm holding it in reserve. Oh, it's like backup. (laughs) It gets released in the box set. It's like a B-side. Bill, Bill, I- B-side podcast. I'm looking for an episode worthy of you. And when I, I can't just squander you on any old idea. Maybe why somebody's brain only remembers certain things and not other things. I can't I can't remember anything from my junior year in college, but I can remember all the sporting events that happened that year. My five-part series celebrating Nigerian athletes. Maybe I'll bring you in to, to give some commentary. 
But when I, I, when I, when I just I, still don't understand why that was an African athletes. Cause it's way more. It was like you were, you were the, the head of PR for Nigeria with some other concept. I am in the, no, I am in the tank for Nigerians, first of all, but more than that, it's not interesting if it's all of Africa, because then you're like, duh, it's only interesting if you pick a discrete place and you make an argument that it's better than the, right? And also because Nigerians are so, they're hilariously chauvinistic. They're like the most patriotic people you've ever met in your life. And they will just, their joy in this being called the Nigerian team is just, um, is, you know, I can't deny them that. Are we seeing a sub two hour marathon in my lifetime? Not, well, so Elihu- Didn't somebody do 202 or yeah, 203? Elihu Kipchoge has now gotten us very, very close to 202. Um, but it's one of the most astronomical athletic feats of our lifetime. Um, if you didn't watch that Berlin marathon, um, it's just an extraordinary thing. I, it's really hard to believe. And we were witnessing right now someone who's probably the greatest distance runner in history. So he probably can't do it. So we have to have another unicorn come along. And two minutes in the marathon is a long time, right? That's two hours. Or, no, if we're two. We're two minutes. From oh, two to hours. shave two minutes to off. To shave two minutes is not an easy. Sixty. Thing. So you got to shave off two two and a half seconds per mile, basically. Uh, no, four seconds a mile. Uh, twenty six miles. So four seconds a mile. Um, yeah. So that's boy, that's embarrassing. I got like a six ninety on math on my SATs. <laughs> Somehow right. mangled that one. <laughs> um, you uh, the um, yeah. So it's not. I mean, it probably will happen, but maybe when we're really old, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. I'm prepared for anything with sports. I think someone will dunk from the three-point line in my lifetime. It's probably going to be Zion Williamson. Oh, my God. Just jumping off somebody. Uh, all right, Gladwell. This Thank was you, fun. Bro. This was very fun. Thanks for coming on. All right, thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Chris Ryan. Thanks to Malcolm Gladwell. Don't forget to check out his new podcast. Thanks to TheRinger.com. And if you like The Ringer, check out the new video we put up, the One Shining Podcast video. I think it's really the good. The season preview is it really is good. good. Nephew Kyle makes an appearance. I think everyone in The Ringer made an appearance. Chris Ryan, me. MVP. Yeah. Uh, we're back later in the week. Conan O'Brien finally came in. We actually taped that one today. And it's great. I can't believe he hasn't been on the pod before. That's coming up later this week. We might do four pods. I'm not sure. Stay tuned until then. <laughs>